episode 87 with the familiar strains of one of, if not the greatest sports theme in the history of television sports, right? It really is. And I've always wondered why they brought in Hank Williams Jr. and did all these other machinations of it. Why? Why? Is it broken? Howard Cosell screaming over the tees. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. You yeah, know, the yeah, Seattle, yeah. City, you know, I, I think I, I I think this is not only one of the great sports themes. I think when this tournament starts on Monday, the day that people are receiving this episode 87, a lot of noise. Monday Night Football is going to make a lot of noise and I think has an outside shot to win it all. And one of the reasons we're playing it to start the tease, we're we're not pushing people to Monday Night Football, but one of the guests on this episode 87 actually gave us his final four and called Monday Night Football the winner of the first ever unfiltered TV theme show, unfiltered TV <laughs> theme song tournament. That's a mouthful. One of the guests. One of the guests. A football guy. 28 years ago, on the day that we're, we're recording this on April 12th, 2020. 28 years ago today, which would be April 12th, 1992. Thank you for doing the math. An O'Day High School product slipped on the green jacket and won the Masters. Seattle's own Fred Couples. You were a golf fan back then, I assume, right? 92, your uh, whole life. Yeah. So, oh, so yeah. you remember it. You had no uh, Seattle Like it was tie. yesterday. Is that right? Oh, like it was yesterday. Okay. A famous shot on the 12th, the par three, where the <laughs> ball went down and didn't go into the water, and it sat there, somehow didn't go into the water, and then he chipped it up and made par. Yes. Fred Couples' is coup de gras, the 1992 Masters, and it was 28 years ago on the day that we're recording this, April 12th. Uh, and what's interesting is I've known Fred since I've moved to town. When mm-hmm. I moved to town, I was kind of the golf uh, golf guy. People didn't do golf on the radio. It oh, I like, remember. It was very much frowned upon. <laughs> I remember. I was there. I yeah. remember being in D.C. on WTEM in Washington. And they brought us in and they said, here's what we do on these shows. We do football. Yeah. During football season, basketball, we don't do golf <laughs> because not enough people. And it was probably right. I don't know. And yeah. I came and I just came to Seattle. I was like, I'm going to do golf. And people were like, why is he doing golf on the radio? No no one, very, very few people ever did golf before I came to town. I was just like just stubborn. I was going to do golf. And because I was the only one who did golf, remember Fred, who's from Seattle and went to O'Day, was coming back in the early – this was the mid-'90s. He was coming back in the mid-'90s once a year – to do his own charity golf tournament. It was like a two-day event okay. that he had at Inglewood Golf Club. Then he did it at Overlake. He might have done it at Newcastle one year. I don't remember. And they needed publicity to sell tickets. Yeah. And and they would put Fred Couples on the only – they probably didn't want to put him on my show, but <laughs> no one else was talking golf. You're not going to let the fish interview him anymore, <laughs> are you? <laughs> so you better stick him on your show. So that's how I got to know Fred. So that's 19 – so I've known Fred for about 25 years. And we've done a million interviews. But the thing about Fred, which is interesting, and I'm gonna, I'll am i sell here episode 87 here for a second. What's interesting about Fred is he does not like talking about golf. And he really doesn't like talking about himself. It's always a problem. It's always been a problem. Well, Even then, for the CBSs and the ESPNs of the world, yeah. when they want to do these you know, feature interviews, he's always been hesitant to do any of that because he hate, He likes other sports. He loves talking about other sports. Okay. He'll talk to you about the Seahawks or the NFL for an hour. Right. As soon as you say to him, hey, you want to come on and talk about the Masters? He's like, no, I, I really don't want to do that. <laughs> and he certainly doesn't want to talk about himself. So I wrote him... A, 
I, I figured special times, extenuating circumstances. The Masters would would have been this past weekend. Yeah. We all missed it. All of us golf fans missed it. So I wrote him a text and I said, Fred, would you mind doing something that we've never done? Just come on and talk about your relationship with the Masters and Augusta National. It's a it's kind of a legendary relationship. And he and I have never really dug deep into him and golf because he doesn't want to do that. Right. Whenever he's come on over the years on the radio show or on this show, it's always he's always want to talk about other things. How did you dance around that on the radio show? Because I'm sure you were dying to talk well, about we it. Well, we would touch on it. He knew I had to ask golf questions. Okay. But we never did like a golfy, golfy interview. Very yeah. rarely. Only him and Fish did that. <laughs> that's right. Rubber mats. <laughs> Rubber mats. That's <laughs> yeah. right. And he said, okay. He That's said, great. okay, so we did like 20, 20 minutes. It's on this show about his win in 92, the Nicholas win in 86, when he played Augusta the first time, his favorite hole, his least favorite hole, memories that he great. just he just danced with me. And I know he hated every – he would have rather had Root Canal than <laughs> sit on the phone with me yeah. and talk about himself and golf, but he was willing to do it. 92, a pretty big year for Seattle. Like every band was from Seattle. 1992. Sir right. Mix-a-Lot had the biggest rap song from Seattle. Freddie Couples wins the Masters. And I was nowhere to be found. I, was, I didn't even know where Seattle was on the map in 1992. <laughs> right. I remember when my agent said to me, I want you to go re- do a dress rehearsal or a, a sample show, a rehearsal, not a rehearsal, yeah, a show. Is, yeah, I filled it? in for, what, what do you call it? I don't know. An audition. Audition. Yeah, that's it. I yeah. want you to go do an audition in Seattle. And I was like, come on. <laughs> but that's like, like, no, I seriously, I want you to go do an audition, two, two days worth of a, a Thursday and a Friday in December of 1994. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to move to Seattle. Right. Waste of so time. So why are we doing this? No, I want you to do this. It kind of worked out. Yeah, sure did. You still, you haven't <laughs> left for God, trying to get rid of you. But that's pre Microsoft, really dominating the world. Pre Amazon, Seattle wasn't. You know, Boeing maybe was it. That's kind of what it was known for. So to a guy in South when, Florida, when, when did coffee and Starbucks and all, when did Seattle become coffee? When did Seattle become synonymous with coffee? Probably early '90s. Now, if you were to look at Starbucks, it probably started in '84 or something. But I think early '90s they got the reputation of being coffee buzzed weirdos and freaks so yeah maybe early 90s yeah well episode 87 please 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 subscribe listen and rate super important in relative terms to kick to click play on every episode if you don't mind it helps us you can become a patron for five dollars a month here's a trivia question for you who are ed peterson theo mandelkorn john soar and david sprinkle who are those four gentlemen one of my pediatricians was Dr. Mandelkorn back in the day. Is this guy a pediatrician? Maybe <laughs> from, it's his son. From Mercer Island. Could be. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, how did he spell his name, your pediatrician? With a, it was a K for Korn. M-A-N-D-E-L-K-O-R-N? Yeah. yeah. Has to be a relative. That's a pretty unique name. Has to be a relative. Okay. Well, this so, has to be a son or something. But I don't know who these four are. These are the last four patrons. The sign up for patrons. Oh, is that patrons. right? Yeah. Your pediatrician's relative I don't know. <laughs> is the answer to the trivia <laughs> okay. question. Last four people to sign up as patrons of Mitch Unfiltered. Great. Uh, you can uh, you can write me if you if you want the patron show on your normal app. I say that all the time to the patrons. I know a lot of people don't like listening to the P shows on the Patreon site. It's a lot easier and a lot better and a lot more dependable yeah. if you actually go through the couple of steps to get the the pa- patron shows on your normal app, your normal podcast app. If you want to learn how to do that, I'll walk you through it. Just send me an email to Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com because I'm very tech savvy. There, that's right. You are. <laughs> There's a tweet right now sitting there to you and I that I haven't responded to asking how he gets the patron 
episodes on. So Every, I'll I let get, you take I get over. about two or three a day. A day? A day. Oh, wow. Okay. About two or three patrons each day say, hey, I just signed up or, hey, I hate listening to it off the Patreon side. I want to listen to it yeah. with the rest of my podcast. And I write back. It's very simple. And I send the instructions. Okay. And they they always send me back. Got it. Done. No problem. Perfect. So All if right. you want to if you want to become a patron or you are a patron and you want those shows to to show up on your app where you listen to all your other shows, very very simple to do it. Just an RSS feed, right? Pretty right. simple. Yep. Episode eighty seven guests include Dr. Eric Ding, the Harvard scientist, is back. He'll uh, update us on his opinions of the coronavirus, COVID-19. 1992 Masters champ Fred Couples, we just talked about something that he doesn't like doing, which is talking about himself and golf. He's going to do it. I got the Zoom story. I finally got the whole Zoom story, the controversy now. There's controversies with Zoom. Yes. Really? There's security problems. There's a a lot of companies are saying Zoom's out. You can't use Zoom. There are school systems. People were Zoom bombing. It was very easy to go into somebody else's Zoom and like throw a, a pornographic image up. Oh, or is something. that right? Oh yeah, people were Zoom bombing, and there's security <laughs> issues about where where your information goes. Yeah, like if you do a Zoom with your therapist, who gets that information? Oh, who knows about that? A lot of a lot of Zoom backlash. So I got the whole story about the founder and about how it started and what the comp- Why is it different than all the other services? Yeah. And, it just came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. So yeah. I got a full segment education from a guy named Drake Bennett, who's the Bloomberg Business Week writer who did a whole big story on Zoom. He's going to tell us the story of Zoom. Did you know? Here, here's, a, here's a stat that'll wet your whistle on this. Two months ago, Zoom was used daily by 10 million people. Okay. 10 million users per day. It's now 200 million users per day i believe it since the pandemic no i i totally believe it I, I, it came out of nowhere by the way the example you used a zoom session with your therapist was wildly specific i did notice that one but we, we are so quick do you remember i don't know how long ago maybe uh, six months where they had those aging apps you could put the aging app on your yeah, phone so that was a big thing for yeah and it, it took somebody's picture and it, told yeah, you what you, it's going to look like it, yeah. when you're 100 it would the just problem take with me picture. is i already look <laughs> right. you don't have to put it through anything <laughs> you think you still have it on when you see yourself but um that's why i won't do zoom i don't like looking at my picture in the little square i hate it yeah i hate it too won't do facetime i won't do skype i won't do any of that stuff the whole world ran to get that filter it might have been a uh, i don't remember who made it but now people are like everyone calm down a bit you have no idea where this is coming from this your phone could be you know this this could affect your phone they could be stealing your info but yeah we're so quick oh that's so cool let me have it you know it's so fast by the way the coolest thing i saw all week my son my four is it was yeah it was my 14 year old brought over said i want to show you something on zoom because he heard me interviewing the guy on zoom he said i want to show you something funny so there was like 25 people on zoom on this this video that he showed me yeah you know all the little boxes oh yeah like brady bunch style yeah it was like the whole screen was on zoom and there were like 25 and they passed a pencil around it was the coolest freaking thing oh no way they must have rehearsed this sure yeah yeah. one guy in the middle passes it up and the other guy they start (laughs) passing the pencil around it was classic (laughs) great and i'm saying to myself god am i bored i'm gonna watch that again I saw a lady because apparently on Zoom you could, there's all kinds of effects you can put on yourself. That's one of the that's one of the selling points. Right, a lady and the back the background is the big thing. The background too. Yeah, is, the big is, thing. That's a it big is pretty thing cool. For, it's a big catch for Zoom. Right. This lady could not get her picture off. She, she somehow turned herself into a potato. She was a potato. <laughs> she's on like a work meeting and there's like eight people <laughs> and she's like freaking out. She she looks like a potato. Her picture looks like a. I don't know how they do it. 
and she's freaking out. But it's a work thing. She's embarrassed. No it's, passing a pencil around. Though. No, no, just a potato. That's all. Final, uh, final guest will be Ryan Gustafson. You probably don't know that name. He was the president of the now defunct Seattle Dragons of the XFL. Uh, yeah, saw that. Went out of business last week, so we got the president on to talk about whether he was surprised and what it means to all the employees and all that stuff. Yeah. Episode 87. Hotshot episode 87, just not possible without our partners, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Call 425-250-3150. Jordan Flowers will be with us here on episode 87. Low interest rates, buying opportunities, news for those of you having trouble with monthly payments with three top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office alone. Jordan has compiled an all-star team standing by to save you money, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call, the market had an interesting week in a good way. Tyler Hayes' team listening to and understanding its clients' needs for decades has been responsibly growing families' money. Their private wealth management division with offices along the West Coast headquartered right here in Bellevue. Evergreen and its clients well-positioned to be able to take advantage of some opportunities there are here in the economy. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. And Zeke's Pizza. Many of you know by now that I've been delivering pizza to healthcare workers here in the Northwest as a way to not only say thank you for all these selfless people keeping us safe as we can stay at home, but also supporting an important local business. Zeke's Pizza delivers. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. It's safe, delicious, paid in advance, tip in advance. Deliverer drops the pizza right at your front door. Delicious normalcy in the midst of this pandemic. Zeke's Pizza delivers homegrown in the Northwest. And Daniel's Broiler, as you can imagine, the stress that the Schwartz family is under with our favorite world-class steakhouses in these unprecedented times. How can you help such a wonderful partner of mine for so many years? Well, beyond purchasing gift cards at danielsbroiler.com, don't forget about Schwartz Brothers Baked Goods that are also on display at your favorite grocery store. Same company, same fantastic products. We love the Schwartz Brothers Bakery, Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Episode 87 Starts right now. Unfiltered. There is a chance, there's a scenario where the Masters, World Series, NFL regular season, college football regular season, Premier League, NBA basketball's postseason, and NHL hockey's postseason is all playing in the month of November. All seven of those things conceivably can be played out in the month of November, making it, as I say, the greatest sports month in the history of sports. Unfiltered. A lot of Seattle Seahawks fans wondered aloud for years, what are we doing with Fetty? He stinks. He stinks. Get him out of there. He stinks. We just found out that the rest of the league thinks that the Seattle Seahawks were not playing their best right tackle for all these years. They have not been playing their best because George Fant got $10 million. Mitch is unfiltered. I believe Quincy Jones put this together right here. Seattle's own Quincy Jones? Seattle's own Quincy Jones. I don't remember where he went to high school. I used to know where he went yeah. to high school. Did he go to Franklin? 
I don't know. Rainier Beach, maybe? I don't know. But Seattle Zone, Quincy Jones, hmm. Sanford. The theme from Sanford and Son, who you think is one of the most intriguing first-round matchups in the entire field. And by the way, we're starting on Monday, which is when people are listening to this. So if you hear this early, early and once we start, I'm not taking any more brackets. Okay, right. you can't be sending me filled out entry like pools yeah. after we start yeah so enough. if you're if you're and i'm not taking twitter i keep telling people and they still send me over and over again i keep seeing here's my four my two on twitter and i'm like i keep writing you've got to send me the i i can't i'm one person i'm gonna be grading these all myself yeah you know hundreds and hundreds i don't know a thousand of these things are coming and i'm gonna grade them myself I don't need to be looking on Twitter and emails. I love the, Give me a break here. One I, place. I sent mine to my Snapchat, Mitch. Can you log in as me yeah. and grab it really quick? Sure, I'll be Just, happy to do thank that Thank you so you. much. Be happy to do that So, for yeah, you. the Sanford and Son, is a, that's a great song. Everyone loves it. Yeah. But it's going up against the NCAA tournament theme. Yes. Which I'm wondering if people are going to feel nostalgic for not having it and if that's going to get it some extra votes. It's a great song, that NCAA. And we're not talking one shining moment here. Correct. That's we right. will play one shining moment for the winner. <laughs> we should, yes. As the winner... <laughs> Cuts down the nets, yeah. but no, we're talking about the da 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 da. Yeah. So, so who do you like in that match? Who are you picking in that first round match? Oh. You think there's going to be a, a like a a sentimental choice I do. here? I do. Yeah. Because we missed the NCAA tournament. You think Sanford and Sons done in the first I, I round? I think Sanford and Sons. Quincy Jones is done. Shockingly done in the first yeah. round. Wow. Yeah. The I NCAA. Think I, have them go- I can't tell you. I have the envelope right here. So wait, are those are those your picks or is that who you thinks? Well, I guess it's kind What's of the, the same thing. Well, 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 <laughs> yeah, I guess it's the same would thing. Would you like to ask that question again? <laughs> I, I, I did this before we even announced the the brackets. It's right here. It's been sealed. It doesn't move. It's right there. Yep. That's the champion right there. I told you I'm going to seal the champion. I don't remember if I put four teams in there, if I just put who the champion's going to be, but the champion is in that sealed envelope. That's why you're so concerned about Sanford and Son in the first round. It <laughs> happened to be in that envelope. <laughs> well, you never know. Never George know. Sanford. Sanford and Son is George a great one. Sanford? Huh? Sanford and Son is a great one. Yeah. So we'll see. Episode 87. Episode, uh, this is a bad one. Charlie Young. Did he wear 87? I think for the Seahawks. See, they say that Ben Obumanu and Derek Mays are the best 87s ever to play for the Seahawks. Remember Derek Mays? Am I supposed to know Derek Mays? Well, Derek Mays was the wide receiver, I believe, for Brett Favre of the Green Bay Packers, and then he came over here at some point during the Holmgren era, I think. I don't remember. Yeah, Derek Mays. He might even be a local guy, Derek Mays. He might be even a federal way guy. Don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, you remember Ben Obamanu, right? Yeah, I do. Okay, he was a wide receiver, special mm-hmm. teams guy. And then a couple of Huskies name, and I don't remember these guys, John Brady from the 70s. Nope. And Kevin Ware, number 87. Do you remember a guy named Kevin Ware for the Huskies? Wearing Not 87? Really. All right, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's your local yokel. How about, by the way. That was great. I know exactly what you're going to say. We brought up a name of an old Husky player. Yes. And his dad Tight end. and his son was listening. That's right. That's so cool. Well, his son wasn't, I don't know, listening, but was told to listen. Yeah. And sent me a great email that we made his week by talking about his dad. His dad passed away when he was a little boy. Yeah. When the son was a little boy of cancer. And there are some awards named after him. That was so cool to get that email, right? Was it Scott Greenwood? Yes. Okay. Scott Greenwood. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. His son. That was really Really cool. It was a really cool email. Yeah. Anyway, um, so that's it for the local yokels. Now, Nationals, ha- that has to be better, right? Not much. I think this is going to be the first ho- – no, did we do hockey? Have we ever done a hockey one? I'm not trying to remember if we ever I, did a I hockey. feel like we have. Like a Mario Lemieux, like a Lemieux 77? Yeah. 66. 66? Yeah. 66? It's going to be – I think it's a hockey guy. If you really want to go with who the greatest athlete ever to wear – 
number 87. And you don't want to do like something that happened in 1987. You don't want to go off the board oh, and right. be creative yeah, yeah. like with Zoom or something like that. Right, like when the boss got drafted, that kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> that, that kind of Supplemental draft. Yes. <laughs> I, I think if you want to go with an athlete, the greatest athlete to ever wear number 87, I believe, is Sidney Crosby of the Pittsburgh oh. Penguins. Is it the Pittsburgh Penguins? Sidney Crosby? Philadelphia, Philadelphia Flyers? I, I don't even know. See, I'm not an NHL guy. Canadian? Is he a Canadian guy? Yeah. I think he played on the Canadian national team yeah, against the I, U.S. I, I believe he's a Canadian he was guy, very, but I thought very he played good. on Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. I thought he's a... An NHL guy for the uh, okay, not I'll, I'll Boston, check. not Boston. No, okay. Sidney Crosby was not a Boston. Okay, Bruin. Uh, Dwight Clark, the famous catch. Oh. Dwight Clark goes high in the air. You mean, and he may have taken the 49ers to the Super Bowl. That's Joe Buck or Jim, Jack Buck. That was Jack Buck. Dwight Clark was good. He was a good player. Yeah, and he passed away recently yeah. in the last year of uh, ALS. Mm, yeah, tough. And uh, he caught the ball from Joe Montana. He was good. He wasn't as good a receiver as Sidney Crosby right. is a hockey. And I don't even know where Sidney Crosby plays, I'm telling you. <laughs> and by the way, you're talking about the Dave Casper, the tight end. You're talking about the catch that Dwight Clark made that Graz was also in the end zone of? That catch? Is no. That the, was he? That's what he says. <laughs> what, <laughs> what are the chances that Graz was standing in the end zone when Dwight Clark made that catch? I guess we'll have to have him on one day and ask. Get confirmation. <laughs> he was standing there is what he told me. It's the most famous catch in San Francisco 49er history. That tur- turned the whole franchise around. They hadn't won anything huh. up until that point. That's when Joe Montana, it's against the Dallas Cowboys, Everson Walls. Keeping the keeping the drive alive. It took him forever to throw it, right? Last yeah. second, he lets it go. And, yeah. and they won that. That was the NFC Championship game, I do believe. Uh, and they went to the that, that I think took them for their first Super Bowl. That was a, a huge play in NFL history. Terrell Owens had a pretty good one too against the Packers, if you remember. Yep, and, and it's like a slant Ooh. at the goal line when he got crushed. As yes, he caught the ball. And he yes. had like five drops that game or something leading up to that. That was a yeah. pretty good catch. But too. that was a little bit later. A little later, yes. This it is, was. And, that, and that was in '87. So <laughs> no, no reason why to talk about it. We talk about great catches, like yeah. one of the greatest catches from the Niners. Yeah. That's up there. I got it. Yeah, yeah, I got it. So those are your. There are your 87s, unless you want to go off the board. I always thought Gronkowski wore 87, no? Yeah, there's a good one. Okay. Well, he was pretty good. Really good? Yeah. I'm surprised I haven't come up with him. <laughs> I think the listeners are too, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, Sidney Crosby and, the, and Gronk. I mean, those are two pretty good players. But I don't really like Gronk. So had I come up with him, had, had it been on the websites, maybe these websites are too too old to, to come up with a new guy like Gronk, even though he's retired now. I think you purposefully shoved that out of your head because you, you don't care for him, yeah. How you doing with, uh, how, how the Soden's doing with COVID-19? You doing all right? I'm putting on the COVID-19. I don't know if, uh, you? if you guys are eating a little more. We are eating and eating. <laughs> That's all I look forward to. Well, we've been eating birthday cake. I was going to ask you, you. This is this is the official Mitch Levy birthday yeah, show. The birthday sh- is this the birthday show? Well, it's the closest one. Are you so. going to sing like Marilyn Monroe? <laughs> Happy birthday to me! Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, uh, yeah, celebrated a, uh, a another birthday. Are you a birthday guy? You don't strike me as someone who. But when you have kids, you don't really have a choice, right? They have to like be a involved. birthday guy. Express your question. What do you What do you ask? If you were, if you didn't have kids or you were a single guy, would you give two shits about your birthday? I'd give one and a half shits. Oh, you would? Okay. That's... I, I'd, g- I'd give a little bit about my birthday. You do? Okay. I kind of like going out. Like, we couldn't do what I wanted. I mean, I like going out for dinner with the family okay. and picking a spot that we wouldn't normally go yeah. and go have a nice dinner. But, you know, there's none of that this year. So, this year was a little bit more a, a little more low-key on the birthday. And plus, these things are starting to mount up, these birthdays. Well, I don't that... know if you noticed that. They're fun when you're like 25, 28. Even twenty nine. Yeah, I think when we get to about thirty, 
I don't know which birthday it was for you. 40 was a tough one for me. Yeah. 50 was a tough one for me. I 70 know. was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine 70's tough. <laughs> well, there was... Uh, so, did you guys celebrate? You do anything? I mean, you're stuck in the house. Well, we decided that we were going to get takeout. So, that's a that's a real luxury. We're going to take takeout. Yep. And the rest of the family, I'm, I'm, I'm moderately okay with Chinese food. I'm okay with Chinese food. It's not my favorite. Oh, I see. They love fa- they love Chinese food. So As I said, why don't I. I, why don't I go pick up Chinese food? So I figured there was going to be no hullabaloo about my birthday. My birthday was on Saturday, a day before we we're recording this. And I was in here doing, I told them that they said, what are you going to go do? I said, I got to go do an interview with Fred. That was the right. day that I did the Fred Couples interview. And it went a long time and there was editing involved. And I, I closed the doors as I do to the little studio that we have set up. Uh-huh. And I started interviewing Fred. Little did I know that they were out there decorating the oh, whole so nice. kitchen and family room and streamers and balloons. And they had gotten a cake, a takeout cake. Somebody helped them get a cake. That I love these these cheap like QFC cakes, oh, like Costco sure. cakes. I love those. Like, Do you? you know, oh, I love those rack okay. cakes. Oh, my God. They're like my the favorites. Cake? Yeah, I don't yeah. like anything fancy. I don't like any fancy desserts. <laughs> okay. No fancy desserts. Sheet cake. That's oh, right. So a picky. sheet cake. Yeah. Uh, they had gotten one of those. They had balloons and they had oh, streamers so nice. and they had hats. The problem is... <laughs> They didn't expect me to like talk to Fred Couples for like an hour. <laughs> and by the time I, I opened the door, they're like, happy birthday. One of them's on the floor. Right. <laughs> Max is like, all right, can I go upstairs now? Right. They, were, they were literally sitting oh, there God. for 30 minutes yeah. waiting for me to come out of the room. And I did the interview with Fred, and then I edited it all up and got it all ready and pretty and ready for the – and I, was, I had no idea that they were right. waiting on me. Little did they know you so, were talking to the real love of your life, Fred Couples. <laughs> it's going to go a little long today, guys. So I said to them, I said, why did you tell me? And I would have come out sooner. Like, okay, that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> it defeats the purpose of a so surprise So they texted dad. me whenever I came out. I was surprised. There was all kinds oh, of stuff. Oh, it's so out. nice of them. And, we, we, and then they said, okay, Dad, will you go get the Chinese food now? So, <laughs> so Dad went and got the Chinese food, yeah. brought it back, and we had a Chinese food dinner nice. with streamers and, and sheet cake. I said rack cake. Sheet, sheet love cake. Love it. Yeah. Love white icing, chocolate cake. Is that not it? the vice versa? Okay. I don't want that anywhere near my plate. <laughs> I didn't if say I that. See it near my plate. I didn't say that. I said I like white icing, yeah. chocolate cake, and if you really want to do yourself proud, one layer of of the white icing in between the layer of chocolate to two layers of chocolate. You understand? If you if you cut into it, yeah, I understand. Yeah, there's a little you. layer sure. of, of icing in between, right out, right off the rack. Okay, so you like it can say like "Happy Birthday, Rachel" on it. Yeah, I don't even give a rat's ass. Yeah, you it like could it. be for somebody else. It could have flowers. It could say "Get Well Soon" on it. Yeah. It could say you know you know Mazel Tov on your. I, I don't care whatever it says. You know Happy Easter. It could say Happy Easter. Yeah, I don't care what it says on it. I want white icing and chocolate cake. <laughs> but right icing, off the right off the sheet. Icing in the middle is a little bizarre, though. I don't think I've ever seen that. It's usually like a cream or like. Do I have some... to go in there right now and get you a piece? Well, I'm not. You want some? I'm sure you, it you tastes look so... like you need some. I know. Believe me, <laughs> birthday cake's so good, but it's one of those things you can't just go in and buy unless it's someone's birthday. I had a 400 pound friend. This was so amazing. He loved cake. Clearly, he's 400 pounds. He would go to a birthday, and he would act like he was buying a birthday cake for a friend, and he'd have like a new name every month. <laughs> Happy birthday, Roger. Boy, you buy a lot of cakes for your friends. You're a hell of a guy. 
<laughs> he take the cake home and just tear the whole okay? thing up. Is he doing okay? Well, he's had the surgery twice, the lap band surgery. Yeah. And he managed to beat it both times. <laughs> he's, he's a medical miracle, this guy. He beat it. I mean, he's still oh, putting God. weight on this guy. Twice he's had the uh-huh. surgery. But speaking of birthdays, I don't know if you saw 12-year-old Brandon Smith. No. He's, Who's 12-year-old Brandon Smith? He celebrated his birthday on April 11th. He's yeah, uh, he's, me. he's the son of an NFL writer named Jody Smith. I'm, I've never heard of Jody Smith, but he works for the NFL. Yeah. So this kid loves geography, apparently, and he couldn't leave the house, and he's 12. You know, it sucks. So Jody asked people on Twitter to send a picture of where they live. Not a picture, but t- just tell them where you live. And so he'll then go on a map and just something for him to do, you know. And he got 34,000 retweets and 124,000 likes of people. Oh, my God. And I don't know how many people sent. I did it. I sent a picture of Stoquamie Falls. Hey, happy birthday from Stoquamie. So hopefully that kid had a good birthday. You didn't birthday. even send me a damn thing from, <laughs> from Stoquamie Falls. Yours is on the way. Your, your present's on the way. He's 12 years old. Yes, Brandon Smith. We got the wrong April 11th baby on here. Yeah, no he, kidding. He's got a lot more viewers and listeners than me. It's pr- a pretty cool thing everybody did by yeah. wishing him happy birthday. Did you see, by the way, before we get to the guests, the four guests, and we do the other stuff segment with you and me did you happen to see the kevin garnett story out of the blue only because of you oh really yeah that's only wow and, only you, and he didn't send me a, a, a happy birthday on after that either. yeah well i don't remember my where does that come fair. from kevin garnett out of nowhere I'm, I'm, I'm flipping through and i see the story that kevin garnett who just recently was not inducted he was um elected to the nba hall of fame he will be inducted in like november or whenever they do it uh-huh Kevin Garnett, everybody remembers Kevin Garnett. Sure. He was a Chicago high school legendary player. He skipped college. Yep. I think he was one of the last ones that was allowed to skip college. Then you had to go to college for a year. Yeah, there was a handful, wasn't there? It was like four or five at the he time. Was, he was straight from college to the NBA, and everybody knows, you know, he played on the Minnesota Timberwolves Drafted forever. The Timberwolves, yeah. He's fallen out with them now, and they don't, they don't get along. It's pretty sad. The Celtics and for a minute. The Celtics, yeah. and then my son said he played for the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets as well. Okay. But he's got no that I could, that I know of. He's got no attachment to the Northwest. Yeah, he's doing an interview with like the AP on being elected into the Hall of Fame, and the writer asked him, "So, what are you doing in your life, and what do you want to do?" Now, yeah, it's a funny question, but these guys that are going to the Hall of Fame are like thirty-five years yeah, that's old. They, right. got, they got the rest of their life. They, they're at a stage where they're enjoying birthdays, right? Still, <laughs> and he's done. You know, his career's over, right? And he says what my dream did you hear so I'm paraphrasing now he yeah. says his dream is to bring NBA basketball back to Seattle in the Northwest to bring the Sonics back great I'm like what right I mean where did that that's unbelievable that's great where did that come from Kevin Garnett like that is so yeah. ra- to me that is so random and he goes on to say Seattle was such a, a, a bit an important place during when I was playing. We all loved to go to Seattle and was such a great credit to the NBA, how they don't have a team. Yeah. It's about if I really could pick what I can do next is that I would own a team and I would bring a team back to Seattle, an NBA team back to Seattle. And I was just going crazy. I was like, I was like pumping my fist. Yeah. Are we gonna read that his wife's from Seattle? Or is there some connection? No, I don't think so. When was he a rookie? 97, oh, I want to say? I, I'm not good with the years. I have no idea. Because maybe... Absolutely no idea. Maybe that's it. Maybe he loved coming to Seattle during Kemp and Peyton, and I think they played in the playoffs one year against each other when McHale was one of the coaches. It is just so cool to hear an NBA yeah. star with no connections to the Northwest say, what I'd like to do next in my life is bring a team to Seattle. That's just... That's... Uh, Crazy. I don't understand. It's not, I, I, he doesn't want to own the Bulls, his hometown team. <laughs> right. He doesn't want to buy the Timberwolves. He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't do that. He wants to bring a team to the to the Pacific Northwest. Well, we are already. No, not to the Pacific, to the Seattle. 
We're all here with open arms waiting for you, Kevin. Make it happen, please. I had a question for you really quick. I know we have to yep. get to the guests. Yep. I was watching an old basketball game again because that's what I do now. Yep. This was December 8th, 1990. Number two, Arizona Wildcats taking on number 18, LSU Tigers. All right, LSU really just had Shaq. But Arizona had a couple good players, uh, Sean Rooks and Brian Williams. Yeah. Brian the, Williams, one of the weirdest guys ever, but go ahead, yeah. Okay. But the announcers struck me. I, you're probably going to say, well, this happened all the time. Of yeah. course. Keith Jackson calling basketball on ABC. Really? Oh, yeah. That's when ABC had it. Yeah. ABC had a lot of regular season dun, games dun, for a while. Dun. It's like the same theme as college football. <laughs> I just rolled right. it over. Right. Oh, yeah. ABC did a lot of. I think ABC Keith did some Pac 12. They did Pac 12 games, ABC. For a okay, long, well, for a long time. That's Arizona. But who, any idea who his partner was for this particular two oh against Oh my 18? God! Nineteen ninety, Keith Jackson, college basketball partner on a regular season game. This was not a tournament. Yes, yeah, December eighth. So it's regular because, season. Because they never did the tournament. It's, NBC did the tournament with Billy Packer, Al McGuire, and Dick Enberg, and then CBS, ABC. To my recollection, never did the NCAA tournament. Uh, who would have been his partner? Strange bedfellows for me. I couldn't believe they they paired these two up. To me, this person would annoy the hell out of Keith Jackson. Dick Vitale. Exactly right. Dick Vitale and Keith Jackson. Part of me liked it because I love both of them separately. Well, 1990 would have been Dick Vitale's heyday on ESPN. So it makes sense. ESPN, ABC, same okay. company. That when Back ABC then they had were games. too? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. When ABC did a game, I would, I would have thought that it would have been ESPN guys. That's right. Keith yeah. Jackson was not feeling all the Shaq hype. He was grumpy old man. I love Keith Jackson. We've interviewed love him. Keith Jackson. He's a big part of my childhood. I couldn't love him anymore. Yeah. Uh, every Husky game, the bowl game felt like it was. But you're a- now going to take him out. He, well, it's funny. You're going to take him out by the knees. You're going to take Keith Jackson, who can't defend himself, <laughs> out by his knees. He was cautioning everyone. He's just a young guy. He right. hasn't played in the NBA yet. Right. And by the end of the game, after Shaq had like seven dunks, he was completely on board. <laughs> yeah, this guy is going to be on. That's exactly right. I mean, he was just loving him. It took him about three quarters. And then Shaq looked like he was playing on a Nerf hoop on the side of his uh, bed. And, and Keith was loving him after that. Vitel kept telling him, this guy, I'm, he's special. He's special. Keith, it took him a little while to warm up. Harvard scientist Don. Dr. Eric Ding, Masters Champion 1992, Fred Couples, Drake Bennett of the Bloomberg Business Week to tell you the Zoom story, and Ryan Gustafson, the president of the now defunct Seattle Dragons on episode 87. On the phone with Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. I know it's a strange and scary time. Jordan, you guys are open, right? You're an essential business. Mitch, that is correct. We are an essential business, being the financial sector, housing sector, and we are all still fully operational, my entire uh, staff and team, whether we're working from home or uh, socially distancing ourselves and locking ourselves in the offices. We're all still working and serving our clients here. Opportunities for our our listeners that want to look at either purchase or refinance. I know it's uh, the last thing on a lot of people's minds right now, but for those that are thinking about it, what can they find at the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage? Opportunities are still great, both for refinancing and buying. The Fed is committed to keeping rates low throughout uh, this pandemic, as well as long after to ensure a full, robust recovery. Definitely opportunities right now on home buying uh, as far as a decent amount of inventory hitting the market and potentially getting good deals there. For anybody that 
currently does not own and has been thinking about it, we're happy to run uh, rent versus own calculators for you and see kind of what your tax liabilities are and also the financial benefits of owning a home, whether primary or investment property. If we're in the market or we're in the market for a refi, we should look at our numbers on our outstanding loan, our current loan. What should we be looking for? What numbers are available to us through you guys? Absolutely. I'd say anybody right now that's considering refinancing, we're taking care of uh, clients removing their mortgage insurance. We are helping people with cash out refinances to consolidate debt or do home improvements. Really anything in the high threes to low fours and above certainly would, would be of interest in taking a look at what refinance numbers look like for them right now. Jordan, what about all the people out there that are having trouble making their payments during this insanity? So with that stimulus package, the CARES Act, they are allowing customers to apply for forbearance if they qualify up to six months and then extend to 12. What they need to know, there's there's information on the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau website, the CFPB website, as well as um, they need to be reaching out to their servicers to figure out what they are eligible for if they need to. If they can make their mortgage payments, they need to keep doing that. Uh, but as a last case, solution for anybody that's hit by these times. Um, there are options for them, but they need to understand what those options are. If they're not getting their debt wiped out or forgiven. It's simply moving the payments, and they need to understand that. 425-250-3150. That's 425-250-3150. Jordan Flowers' team, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. We are hoping that at the end of the month, we could look around and say, okay, is there any element here that we can safely and cautiously start pulling back on? If so, do it. If not, then just continue to hunker down. Other decisions are gonna have to be made at the level of the president and the governors. The only thing I and my colleagues in public health and medicine can do is to give a projection of the kinds of things that may or may not happen when you make these steps. It's been a few weeks since we had our friend on the pod, really trust Harvard epidemiologist and senior fellow at the Federation of American Scientists, Dr. Eric Ding. He's a must-follow on Twitter. Uh, Dr. Ding, let's begin with just kind of an overall sense of where you think we are since you and I last visited two weeks ago. Yeah, this epidemic has, it's every week has been changing so much. Um, in some ways, there's good news, and in certain ways, there's bad news. The good news is New York City, number of hospitalizations has been dropping. That's the good news. But at the same time, the number of deaths has been soaring in New York, as well as the number of home deaths that haven't even been accounted for. But New York is just the tip of the iceberg. In Washington State, though, I think um, the analysis seems to show that Washington State has the epidemic uh, under best control of all 50 states. Like the effective R, reproductive number, is under one in Washington State, while every other state is hovering around one or way above one, which means if it's above one, the reproductive number for every infected person, that person infects how many more people? A reproductive number of one means the epidemic is holding steady, but not going down. Under one means it will go down. And above one means it will keep increasing. And so most states are either increasing or near one. They're hovering. But at the same time, we still, still, still are 
bottleneck by inadequate testing, which is extremely frustrating. But the good news is Washington State seems to have come out the best so far and has not had a cataclysmic epidemic like New York has. Is that a reflection, Doc, on the way we've done our social distancing? Is it a reflection of our healthcare workers and our healthcare system? How would you mm-hmm. explain what would be some of the things you would use to explain our success? Yeah, I think obviously some of the containment measures um, in Washington was really, really good. Although Washington State was not the first to go into a lockdown. Washington State was one of the or earliest to go into like um, you know large gathering bans, but not lockdown. New York went with lockdowns first, but what Washington State did find was that it found the epidemic sooner than anyone, and that is partly uh, because of the heroism of Dr. Helen Chu of University of Washington, because she runs the Seattle flu study, so she had the infrastructure to do massive surveillance testing that no one else in the country had previously built up. But she was blocked by federal authorities for using her flu study to study the coronavirus, even though she was begging to. And uh, she did it anyways against federal rules. And lo and behold, it was right under our nose. But she did the brave thing. She did the Rosa Parks thing and did what was right, not just because what was uh, lawful at the time. And so she found it earlier. And I think that's why. Uh, Washington State is coming out so much better than anybody else, and she's a true American hero. At the same time, the epidemics was growing in New York City for a very long time, and they actually said it, the cases in New York, most of them came from Europe, did not come from China. And we did not even know that until just like, a few days ago. And that just shows how so clueless we were in New York for the longest time. And Massachusetts, you know, in certain ways, it, it's a relatively small state, but it's the third highest in number of cases, also because of lack of testing in many ways. I think Washington State has come out on the better end because we've had testing, testing, contact tracing early on. Mm -hmm. And information is knowledge, is power. And Washington State got the information ahead of everyone. But are we still in a large way innocent victims of the other states around the nation dragging their heels? You You call it a leaky ship. That's true. Like the U.S. can't close off the borders of individual states like other countries can. Like the EU countries, they're still countries. Uh, and so they can close off the border. No one flies in, no one flies out, no one enters through our checkpoints. U.S. does not have such things as any sort of checkpoints between states. And every state has hundreds of ports of, uh, ports of uh, barrier entry before uh, you can. So even if one state has perfect lockdown, the neighboring state does not, that's a problem. Kansas, actually, the governor put in lockdown. The state legislature overruled the lockdown, and Kansas doesn't have a lockdown anymore. And many states have a loosey-goosey lockdown where the lockdown rules are half a page, but the exemptions are two pages long. It's, it's kind of like if you have a ship and you pl- have 50 holes, you plug 40 of the holes. The problem is yeah. other 10 holes will mean your, your entire ship yeah. will still flood every compartment, and we don't have like compartment seals like a ship has if there has a leak. And so this is why the U.S. is still increasing and every leak in every other state still endangers every other state. More and more areas of the U.S. dock insisting on some form of face covering when the need is to go out. I remember our first visit back in February. You, you had a lukewarm opinion of that idea. I know you're fully on board now with a bandana mm-hmm or scarf, because something is better than nothing, right? 
Yeah. So I always said that a face covering protects others because it does catch droplets. But in terms of protecting you from it, I think that was why I was saying that uh, like a bandana does not protect you uh, per se. But right now, the issue is there's so many asymptomatic cases, anywhere from up to 25% in, according to CDC and 50% according to Iceland, which has done more testing than any other country combined almost. They think 50% of all cases are asymptomatic. So with so many people without symptoms, 25% in the U.S., they think, it, it, it's very healthy to wear these things because it protects other people from you. And that is the logic. And that, that we didn't realize it was so dangerous until recently. Yeah. And, you know, we still want to save the N95 masks for healthcare workers. Right. Because they're the ones who need to get protected from patients who are coughing in front of them every single day. Right. And so I think that's the fine tune. Please save these professional N95 masks for the healthcare providers. And you yourself use other types of masks and face covering to protect you from others when you go out into grocery stores. Harvard scientist, Dr. Eric Ding. My concern now is, Dr. Ding, I'm the type of person that wants to hear when there's some rays of optimism, whether it be in data or drug testing or anything. But at the same time, I don't want for my neighbors to take our foot off the gas pedal because we see some encouraging signs. So how does Mm -hmm. a guy like Fauci balance those two things, sharing but not oversharing and encouraging people to to be haphazard with all this now? That's, That's a really good question. There are hopeful signs. There's things like serology tests, which means they test your blood serum for antibodies. And not just any antibodies, antibodies for this COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 virus. Because if you have antibodies, it means you've once had this virus. It's not a direct test of the virus. It's a test of your body's immune system markers that have previously recognized and attacked the virus before. And in certain ways, that's a potential good sign that if more and more people have this, and we don't know exactly how many people have this yet, but if, for example, a large number of people have this, it means those people are potentially safe and have some partial immunity. How much? We're not sure yet, but that's a hopeful sign. Um, and those things are we're doing more of these studies in the near future and, and going to perfect them. There's some promising potential treatments on the horizon. There's a remdesivir trials that are finishing soon. We have some case series studies that show it's promising. Hydroxychloroquine obviously is much talked about. I think it might work, but we have to see in a trial. And there could be a lot of adverse effects for certain types of people. It's not a gentle drug. We need randomized trials. Case reports can be cherry-picked so easily. And that's why in the medical research, we use them for general hypothesis, not saying that, oh, this thing is, is going to be a one-shot wonder silver bullet for, uh, for curing it because it will not be a silver bullet. It will maybe help a little. And then trials, please wait for them. It's, it's really, really dangerous to, to use them without uh, randomized trials. And uh, in certain ways, you know, the, the, the social distancing is working. But at the same time, we need mass testing. If we ramp up our testing enough that we have testing employees on a every other day kind of basis or every week kind of basis of every, say, retail store, consumer-facing retail business employee on a weekly basis, we would be much more confident that we're catching all the 
virus and epidemic and not letting loose and maybe having our businesses go turn back on. So in certain ways, supporting testing, all testing, whether it's a direct testing of the virus or the antibody testing of your blood for immunity, all these things will help get our businesses back in working mode again and get people off unemployment. So I think supporting testing right now is critical and supporting testing with the slowdown is even more critical together. They all have synergies together. So let's, let's work together on this and, uh, and wait for the science. How long, Eric, will it be until I can just go out and get the antibody test? And what you didn't cover in that spiel was if it's found that I have the antibodies and I, I once had the virus, how can I help others who are struggling with the virus currently? Yeah, that's a really good question. So there's a lot of things we need to want to learn. There are some promising studies, and I think that suggests that if you blood transfuse from someone with high antibody levels who's recovered, previously recovered from it, to someone in critical condition or sick, you could actually cure them very quickly. And there's 10 patients who did a study. Again, it was not a trial, but they infused these 10 patients with one single dose of a 200 mil dose of someone else's blood who had previously recovered, blood plasma. And lo and behold, all 10 critical condition patients improved and their viruses were gone by day seven. And off ventilators, some of them were discharged and everything. So there is a lot of hope that if you find good antibodies, and not everyone has really high antibodies, by the way, but if you find someone with really high antibodies and you transfuse them, you could actually find a fast treatment for someone in critical condition. So I think, again, testing, testing, testing of both the direct virus tests and also the antibodies and finding more info about these I think it's critical because it could be a fast track for a cure until we have a vaccine ultimately in about a year. So I think there's a lot of hope on the horizon. All is not lost, but we are trying to race as fast as we can to get all the answers. What's your conclusion on the virus's racial divide that has been more than obvious here in the United States? Yeah, it's, I don't know if it's a biological one. I think it's more of a sociological one because who still has to work in the frontline stores and who still works at these fast food restaurants? Who still works in the, the mass transit employees? There are oftentimes minorities, Hispanics, African-Americans. These people are the ones who are still having, they don't have the luxury to work from home to, um, you know, telework, to Zoom call, et cetera. They have to go out to work and they're oftentimes essential employees in many ways. And because I think in our society, central employees is not just healthcare workers. It's all these people who keep these basic grocery stores and pharmacies running. And they're the ones getting more exposed. And they're obviously living in higher density housing. And they can't social distance as well as, as others because of the, the nature of where they are, live and where they work. So I think there is a lot of disparities. And um, these things we will have to address later on. How do we protect these people or more? Because they are... It's kind of like ha they are doing the hazard duty of our society, right? Yep. It's like a soldier that works in special forces gets hazard pay. Should these frontline employees yes. who put their lives at li uh, risk every day for yes. the rest of us yes. get hazard recognition later on? Yes. I say, yeah, my hand is raised. Let's end yeah. here. Let's end here. Uh, Dr. Eric Ding is with us. He's been with us every couple of weeks to give us his update and his opinions, which are terrific. We all verbally scolded Florida spring breakers 
for being so nonchalant, Doc, about the virus a month ago. I saw the New York Times piece on where these young people went after they partied. Kind of impossible to even attach a number to how many yeah. illnesses and deaths now can be traced back to those beaches, huh? Yeah, it's infinite. Someone did analysis of beachgoers whose cell phones were recognized on the beaches in Florida, and a week later, they were literally scattered halfway across the country in every single state. And that's the nature of how interconnected we are. And this gets to, A, people need to listen to social distancing, but also people have to realize that this spread in the United States, we are one country, and we literally will travel to every country, and this goes back to leaky ship. If you have one Yep. leaky ship in Florida, yep. you will flood every compartment in the country um, and the ship will keep sinking. So we ha- we're in this together. It's not like red state, blue states. It is, and it's not, I, I want to point out, it is not between letting a lot of people die or letting the economy die. Because if you let everyone just go back to work, it will decimate our workforce. It will decimate our workforce. And that will also decimate our economy as well. Because at least keeping them home and then once this virus is over, letting them back out to work, at least we're keeping most of us healthy. But letting the viruses plow through our population, hospitalizing one in five, even one in ten would literally decimate our, our society. And so it's a choice between saving both our economy and health versus our economy only. And that is a choice that's very obvious. We have to save people's lives first. Dr. Eric Ding, D-R-E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G on Twitter. Follow him. He's been really good to us. I look forward to our next visit. Thanks, Doc. Thanks. Better news next time. Talk soon. Our buddy, Dr. Eric Ding, Harvard scientist, the latest and not so greatest in this pandemic and what we need to know, the nuts and bolts of the coronavirus COVID-19. Evergreen Golf Call, our buddies, obviously watching the markets very carefully as we inch closer to reopening the economy. The Evergreen Private Wealth Management Division been managing families' money for decades with the goal of comfortable retirements for people all over the world. I've had experiences with other firms that really only want to know, do you meet their minimum? Tyler Hayes' team is different in that respect. Their client compatibility survey at evergreengolfcall.com is one of several ways that Evergreen listens and understands your unique situation before even the first conversation with you. Everyone's risk tolerance, time horizon, investment preferences, different. Evergreen's wealth consultant gets that information ahead of time so that he or she can tailor make an approach and strategy that's perfect for you and your family's needs. There are even times that Evergreen reaches out to prospective clients to let them know that their investment philosophies just don't align, and that's okay. Evergreengolfcall.com. It's a perfect place to start. Just click on its client compatibility survey and answer a few questions. No commitment, just a starting point. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest and beyond. Unfiltered. Gonna bail, you're gonna have to bail right. Oh, picked it clean. Boy, that is. He didn't like it. I know. That's. I did. I don't know why he didn't. I did. Beautiful. He didn't move a grain of sand. 
believe it. You look at the world's number one player, without a doubt, right now, Fred. It'll be a while before Freddie can putt. Craig Perry has no idea where his ball is, and he has to go all the way down really close to where the old practice range was. He's going to get it there. Episode 87, and you know, it's been an excruciating period for the entire world, so it seems pretty petty to complain about the lack of sports, but boy, did I miss the Masters this past weekend. It was 28 years ago, almost to the day that our next guest completed a Northwest childhood dream. Ladies and gentlemen, reminiscing about his golf game, probably his least favorite thing to do in the entire world, but I begged... I borrowed, I pleaded, here's Fred Couples. Fred, how you doing? I'm doing well, Mitch. Well, there's there's one good thing because we have a couple little twists going on here, so it's not all about golf, and and it is a tough time. I'm Suzanne and I and, and Hunter are in Palm Springs, or La Quinta, at the house, and we're, we're hunkered down, and, uh, you know, I haven't done many of these, but... You know, it took me a couple of days for us to figure out when we could squeeze in a half hour. And I, and I guess it only took four days for me to figure out, Mitch, that I'm wide open. <laughs> All right. Your relationship, your relationship with Augusta National is well chronicled. You made a billion cuts in a row. You had some close calls. You won in 1992. My question, my first question is, Fred, do you remember the first round of golf that you ever played at Augusta? Do you remember it? Who was it with, and what was it like? Well, that's a great question. It was um, besides a practice round, but it would have been in 1983. And and I know for a fact that uh, I don't know who I was paired with the first two rounds, but I know I, I shot 73, 68, and back then it went by score. And for some reason, you know, I'm going to throw one year I played with Gary Player. So I may have been paired with Gary Player, and I shot 68. And then the third round, I got Tom Watson. And I was never so out of place in my life. So in 83, Tom Watson, I think it had a runner-up, a win in 81, and a win in 77. And I knew this. You know, it doesn't – I mean, I was a kid – in, in high school and college when he was doing all this. So I knew how well he played and we were in pretty good shape. And I went out there and I was slow uh, shooting 81. I was in his way and I looked it up and he shot 71, which, which was an okay round. But I, I, I was so out of place, Mitch, and I, it was embarrassing mm-hmm. how poorly I played, but I really just felt like I was playing with a, a King of Augusta, you know, besides Arnold and besides Jack and, I, I, I just couldn't play. I was so nervous. Um, but that was my first year. Did you love it right away? Did you know right away this place fits me and I fit this place or is it an acquired taste, Fred? That's a great question, too. And I've said in a lot of interviews that a lot of the courses that I do really, really well on are courses that remind me of, of Seattle. And people think, oh, the greens at Augusta are so big. Um, well, they are, but they're, they're in areas. So, you know, growing up in Seattle, I became a very, very good iron player in the PGA Tour. 
Um, I was always up in, in, in the stats and greens and regulation. And so that's why when I got to Augusta, I started playing and, you know, 68, my second competitive round, I haven't had many 68s in 40 rounds, you know, or for 40 years. So it was a very good start. Yeah, I loved the place. I thought I could play there. You know, one of the funny things is as you get to be a better player and you start having really good players tell you that Augusta is a perfect fit for you, you kind of start believing it, you know. And mm-hmm. at the same time, a lot of good players would say, wow, you know, you got to drive it better to do well at, at the U.S. Open. And that's obvious. But that's obvious for a lot of players. But at Augusta, you know, there was just – there was a love-love relationship. I never really – have really had any salty rounds where I just walked off the course and I went, you know, wow, that was just a really, really bad round. And there have been a lot where I've played, you know, good rounds and kept my way in there. So I, I know how to play the course and I, I learn by playing with some of the best. And I will say, you know, Ray Floyd was a guy I played a lot of practice rounds with in the late eighties and who, who better to learn from him you know, than, than how to play the course. And, uh, you know, like I say, the greens are huge, but if, if you play some of these holes and you're in the wrong spot, yeah. you'd rather not be on the green. You yeah. know, you'd rather yeah. be chipping or in a sand trap. But anyway, I, I love the play. You you kind of beat me to my, my next question. I was going to ask you about tips that you received along the way. I know that you were you and Floyd were, were buds. You probably got a tip from Palmer. You got a, probably got a tip from Nicholas. I, I don't know, in a practice round or something, can you remember anything that anybody said to you, uh, said, Fred, here, uh, here's something that you should remember. You remember any of those tips or advice that you got that you could share? Well, I, I mean, I can share a few things. You know, I was playing not even at Augusta. You know, I was playing with Ray Floyd, who a lot of Ray Floyd stories, and I actually texted him today. I found a cleaning up. I found a Christmas card when his kids were about seven and eight, nine years old, and I had to send it to him. And hmm. then we texted a little bit, and it was a lot of fun. But you know, he's the one who told me, um, "Hey, listen, you know, when you're playing a golf course, and as good as you're driving it and hitting it, you know, the par 69, you should be able to to birdie three of the four par fives. And a couple times we played in practice rounds, you know, and you hit a good drive on the second hole and you know, you're shooting for the flag and number, th- of course, 13 and 15. And, you know, he, he was the one who kind of said, listen, you're not going to eagle these holes. Okay. You may have an odd eagle around here because you drive it so far, but you need to birdie them and you can't short self yourself and you can't hit it in the Creek on 13 or the water on 15. You got to, you know, you got to play smart here and, and you'll do well. Besides that, you know, little things. I played a lot of practice rounds with Davis Love because we were best friends. Yeah, and he was really he was really close with Tom Kite back there mm-hmm. back then. And if, and if you look at Tom Kite's record at Augusta, tons of top tens. Yeah, and you know, Kite, Kite's one of the best putters. Um, and and I think one of the things you know he said is you just need to become a really really good lag putter. He was helping Davis and I both. And, and, and one of the things people ask, you know, also about Augusta is I may not be the best putter from inside four or five or three feet, but when you start lagging the ball, I can, I can figure a green out or a 50-foot putt on how much break really, really easily, and I have great touch on that. And, and that helps 
uh, a ton around Augusta. Hey, Fred, were you were you the type of guy? Are you the type of guy that went back there in between Masters to play for a weekend? I don't know, take buddies or or go. Or were you are you the guy that only just shows up there for the Masters in April? No, I I've only I've never gone to the course except for one year. And I don't even remember the year it was, but it was the year they started lengthening the tees. Uh. Um, so whenever that was, I, I'm not smart enough to figure it out. And it was at the end of November, early December. It might have touched both days. And Mitch, I, I, so we, we played in the morning because I went with, you know, some older guys. They flew me over there. I didn't really want to go. Uh, it's just a long way to go from California to play. And it was like 45 degrees. And so we get there and we wake up and lo and behold, I hit driver two iron into the first hole and played. And I actually played a, a, a pretty good round. And then the rest of the guys went and played the par three. And I just rested with a gentleman named Sam Reeves, who's become a very, very good friend. And then the next day we woke up and it was in, and in the wind on number one. And I hit a driver and three wood. And I said to these guys, wow, what are we doing here? And <laughs> You know, and, and you're at Augusta, which is, I'm going to say this was in the late 80, or excuse me, late 90s, maybe. Yeah. Um, and so I was just reading something that Trevor, Trevor Emmelman was talking about. And in November, you know, wind will be a different direction it'll, and it'll make the golf course play much longer. Well, I can attest to that. I did not call Trevor up and say, you're correct. I mean, I played there. The greens were perfect. They were, you know, a little soft, but they were as fast as they ever were. It's just the golf course played really, really long. What will, be the, a funny... what will be the winning score if they play it in November? That's a tough question. So if I had to guess, you know, which I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that if a guy can go around and shoot, you know, unless we get incredible weather or unless it's blowing and it's 50 degrees, who knows? But if it's decent weather i'm gonna say the winner's gonna be around nine to eleven under oh really that low huh yeah i don't think you know i don't think this because it should be soft i know they have the uh uh the air pumps that that suck the water out of the green so they won't be like brutally soft they'll still get them firm but i just think you know, I, I, again, I don't know. I'm just listening to a couple of players talk about the Good. wind and Good. how long it's going to play. And, you know, I lived that dream a long time ago. But I don't think length really will affect these top players because they hit it so far. But, you know, if you if you cruise around there in 470s, you're, you're obviously eight under. And I don't think there will be many 65s or 60s shots. So it could be a, a Masters where there's Saturday and Sunday, there's 20 guys within three or four shots, unless – you know, unless somebody goes out and shoots 67, 68. But, uh, you know, if, if there's three, four, five under par, there'll be a ton of guys with a chance on the weekend, which could be very interesting. All right, let's talk about 92 for a second. And I'm not, not going to ask you about number 12. Everybody and their brother has talked about the 12th hole forever for 28 years. So let me ask it to you this way. Are there any other shots, and it doesn't even have to be from the final round, are there any other shots that you remember either from that year or any other year? Like, does a shot or two come to mind as some of the great shots that maybe you ever hit at Augusta National? Well, I'll start real quick with Sunday, the year I won. So I, I, I hook it off the tee 
on number one into the ninth fairway. Okay, I have a clean shot. I hit a nine iron on the green, two putt par. Second hole, I pull hook it down in the creek and make a great six. Third hole is a two iron and a nine iron or two iron and a wedge. Uh, and I cold fat a two iron off the tee. <laughs> we, and when I and when I say fat, it, you know, it still went a couple hundred yards, but it was it was just horrible. We take two steps off the tee and my caddy, who is a phenomenal Joey LaCava. Yep. So this, I've had it for a handful of years, you know, not that many at that time. And he looks at me with a few choice words, but the bottom line was, which he'd never really done. He goes, will you get a blank, blank, blank glove and get in the game? <laughs> and, and, then, and then I hit a seven. Or excuse me. I hit a. I thought I hit. I hit an. He corrected me. I hit an eight iron from one fifty seven to a foot and made birdie. And then I, you know, it was an incredible shot. I mean, I don't think I could hit a wedge anywhere near where I hit it, but I pulled it off. And then I, I, I kind of kept going and I played a really good round, but. You know, over the times where I've played there, most of the time when I have a pretty good round and I've never looked it up, but I've had people tell me, you know, wow, you really have not ever had any incredibly low rounds, but I've had a lot of 70s and 69s and you do it in a flurry. You know, you can you can go and you can bogey 9, 10 and 11, but you can also go, you know, eagle 13, par, par 14 and birdie 15. And that's what I seem to have done a few times where, you know, if I'm not off to a good start, I seem to settle in. Maybe I, maybe I birdie eight uh, and end up shooting even or one over the front. And then I, I do well the back. So there's never really been a big panic session there. Although last year I played the first round and I didn't play that poorly, but I really misplayed it. I mean, I'm 60 years old, so it doesn't really matter, but I misplayed a couple of shots, the back nine going for both 13 and 15 from way too far back. And I splashed them both and I made a six and a seven mm. and I was pretty livid, but uh, you know, 20 years ago, I felt like the golf course was for me to play a really good round. How I did that was, was just, you know, as they say, just, you know, putting well, and playing the course and, and kind of, you know, attacking when you were playing well. And, and it sounds so easy, but that's kind of, if you look at it, you know, I went stretches where I, I played five holes, three over par. Uh, and you don't really want to do that. Rarely did I go, you know, 16 pars, one birdie and one bogey. Favorite hole and least favorite hole. Oddly enough, I love the first hole. I, I love starting off on it. I feel very comfortable on it. I would say my least favorite hole is probably 11. I just, I just really struggle on the hole. I've probably, probably played it a couple over, you know, every, every master's tournament, mm. a couple pars, a couple bogeys, but uh, you know, there's some sleeper holes that people don't really ever talk about. I think 17 is a sleeper and an 18. I was just talking about it uh, on the phone with someone today or texting about how hard you know, 18 now, when the tee's way back there, it's like you can barely drive a Volkswagen up the middle of the fairway, and it's 450 uphill. It's just brutal. But for me, the first hole I really, really like, and I think it's also, you know, let's get the round off, let's get going, and uh, and I struggle on 11. Yeah. What'd you serve for the dinner in 93, Fred? I served chicken cacciatore because that was Gene Serrazano's 
favorite meal. And let me tell you something. I was going through my stuff in the garage today. I've been cleaning. <laughs> and I, I will send you a picture later. I found, not the year I won, but I found one of the dinner menus, and the only signature on it was Gene Sarazen. I mean, I know that's really weird, but I'm looking through this, and I'm going, wow, that's Gene Sarazen's signature. So uh, he was one of my favorites. He always had a nice thing to say. But I, I served uh, chicken cacciatore. What it feel like to tee it up at one, your favorite hole, as the defending Masters champion? Do you remember '93 at all? I don't. Re- I don't even remember '92 at all. I mean, I can't. <laughs> tell, I, <laughs> you know, if we really sat down right now and you uh, said, "I'll give you a hundred dollars for every shot you can remember," but you got to give me five hundred for every one you can't. I'd say I don't want that bet. I just, I don't remember it. I remember, you know, some bad things. I remember easily O'Mara burning three of the last four holes. I remember Phil. I remember some other times I had a chance. But 93, I I can't even tell you how I did or what I shot or if I was even a factor. But, you know, you're always nervous there. And I know that I didn't really sleep well a couple nights. Um, before the past champions dinner, because I had no clue what was about to transpire. And that was a really, really, I'm glad it was Tuesday, not Thursday, because I probably would have shot 80 on Thursday if I'd known the, if I, the dinner on Thursday night. But yeah. it was, it's very nerve wracking to go in there. I mean, you got all those people staring at you, and you're at the head of the table with Byron Nelson. And back then it was Jack Stevens on, on the front. And, and it was, it was like, amazing Mm. look your place in history is secure you're a hall of famer you should have no regrets you won a million tournaments but i want to ask you how how much does it bug you or doesn't it bug you at all that you never won a second one with all the times that you contended and you were close yeah it kills me uh you know there's one pga that you know i should have won okay but i didn't and there's a couple british opens but i think you know, I didn't watch it today. I didn't. I just didn't have the. I didn't want to watch. I felt like I completely outplayed. And this is irrelevant, okay? And, but I couldn't be the guy who probably loves Augusta more than me. And and then with O'Mara, I never let my foot off the gas. But you know, he birdied 15, 17, and 18. Which, if you're close, you go on to win. It's kind of hard to beat a guy shooting three under. But it kind of bothers me because. You know, I really should have won another major, and that probably would have been in Augusta. I mean, the U.S. Open, I, I was only really a factor twice, and that's when Payne Stewart won. But I love Augusta. I can play Augusta. I was talking to Ray Floyd today, and I told him, you know, between me, because he always told me, you're going to win it again. And I said, between me and you, we could have won five of these things. Yeah. And he goes, five? You're undercutting us. And I said, well, I got one, and I think – you know, I think you could have had three more. Maybe I should have won more. And he, he says, no, we should have won more than that. But as life goes on, I can tell you that I think it's because I really love the place that I don't look at it. You know, I don't look down on it. And, and was I disappointed when O'Mara made that putt? Yeah, I was like, you know, are you kidding me? You know, this is, wow, I just didn't expect it. And he made it. And then against Phil, you know, I, I never hit the ball so well uh, on a Sunday in any tournament. And, you know, I didn't putt that well, and, and he got it up and down a few times. And trust me, hit the ball very well, too. But tee to green, 
you know, I had so many chances and I just didn't get the job done. You know what I hated about that one the most was the fist bumping. I hated the fist bumping. You and Phil, too pally-pally in the final round of the Masters. Way too pally-pally. You know, there's something about that. that I, I will tell you a quick, quick little story on that. It's because we were really, really good friends, and we're going down the seventh fairway, okay? And he looks at me, and he gives me a, you know, a fist pump, and he says, look, one of us two are going to win this. So I just want you to know that. One of us two are going to win this. And I don't even know who the hell was around us, okay? Yeah. I don't think we had a five-shot lead over everyone. So I kind of settled in. And then I, you know, I knocked it on eight and I three-putted from a long way. But that was like, you know, I mean, I could have two-putted it. But, but then the fist pups came. And because I know them so well, I didn't have a problem with it. And, and you know, and, I, and, and more than you have told me that, but – if I was playing Norman or Seve or Watson, you know, none of that would have happened. And, and maybe that relaxed Phil also, but it feels pretty, pretty relaxed there. And yeah, I mean, you know, people have said, what were you doing? I'm like, you know, I'm just playing golf. The guy birdies a hole. I birdie a hole. He's giving me a fist pump. I, I can see your point. I, very valid. Very valid. I, if you were there, I wish you were there and walked out to me and got the 13th hole and said, look, forget the fist pump. please." <laughs> All right, I have two. La- I know you have pot pies waiting. I got two last questions for you. The first question. Well, wait a minute. What? I, I, it took me 30 minutes to do this music pool. <laughs> All right, I got three. I got three last questions for you before you'll you'll give us your final four before we get get off the phone. Number one, if you had your choice right now in quarantine, you could snap your fingers and change the course of Fred Couples history. You could have a second Masters. You could have a U.S. Open. Or you can have an open championship. One of those three as your second major championship. Which one would you choose? I would say an open championship. British. Yes, yes. Our national open, Tom Watson told me the other day, was his greatest victory. And he explained why. He also was never so crushed because he was so close with Stan Thirsk, who was his teacher and a huge PGA guy. But for me, I really love the British Open. But Augusta is my favorite, and because I'd won Augusta, I could ease. I can easily say the Open or the British. It's just something that I I, I felt like I could get through and win one of those two, but never have. Okay. Won a British senior? Does that count? Mitch? No, no, doesn't count. <laughs> I figured. Good, you said trick. <laughs> It means nothing, doesn't uh, it? <laughs> no, it means something. It means something. But it doesn't fully count. All right, last golf question, and then we'll get to the bracket. You were there in 86. You were there in 97. For my money, those were the two years that stand out. 86, you know, I grew up in North Palm Beach, Florida. I knew the Nicholas family a little bit. And just watching in my dorm room in Syracuse, New York in 1986. You were there. You were a part of the of the tournament in 86. You were also there in 97 for Tigers first. Did you know, Fred, at the time that it was these two instances were going to be so damn historic? Or did you need time to move on and then you look back upon 80? What do you think at the time in those years, 86 and 97, when Jack was winning and when Tiger was winning? Well, first, when I, I was just finished the 18th hole. And there were so many people around the ninth green. So obviously, you know, Mitch, that 18 and nine, nine green are not far apart at all. And Jack, I knew Jack was on the green. And he made a birdie. And it was the loudest 
I've heard some roars, okay, but that's 1986. So at that time, it was the loudest roar I have ever heard in my life. It was incredible. So then I took my time. Back then, you signed your scorecard right behind the uh, 18th green. So then I made my way out, and I timed it perfectly where he was teeing off on 10, and you could see the ball take off. And, and so he hit a beauty there, and then I rushed back to the house, which I, I was staying at, and, and watched this victory. And just, just to watch it with his son was an incredible, an incredible – because everyone loves Jack Nichols. Then you go 11 years later, and I played, I played a practice round that week with Tiger. And the last thing, you know, I didn't know him at all. I played one or two other times with him. And so I shook his hand and I said, look, kid, have a great week this week. Go get him. And so I played, I think I finished and I got back to the house and he was shooting 40. And I'm like, wow, I just didn't, you know, I, I, I just didn't see this coming. He was right. playing so well. Right. And then, of course, he shoots 30 to back nine. And then the next thing I remember was really the hug with his father right. and, and Jackie Jr. And Jack's hug was an incredible thing. Then you get Tiger's hug with his father and they're so close. And then you fast forward to last year yep. and you see, you know, Tiger hugging his son and daughter was, you know, for me, I love stuff like that. You know, the caddies get big hugs, the caddies, but Tiger's kids weren't even going to be there. And I knew that for a fact, because I asked him, look, if your kids come, you know, I'd, I'd be more than happy to spend a lot of time with them. They don't know me that well, but I can. He goes, look, they can't see. There's no reason for them to be here. They can't see a shot. So all they're going to do is play soccer at the house. And sure enough, Sunday they were there. Uh-huh. Have you ever heard Jack talk about the roar at nine and why it was so loud? No, I, I, I have no clue. He says, I heard him the other day say that he was out of character at nine. He had walked up at nine. He was way out of the lead. And he was kind of chatting with the gallery around the ninth before he, he sunk the putt. He was like, he was just shooting the you-know-what with them. He was like, let's see if I can make something happen here. What do you guys think? Let's try to make something happen here. And that's why he thinks the roar was so loud when he made the putt, because he was talking with the gallery at the time. Wow. And, and that's no setup. I have, I've never heard that, but I've told it story 20 times where there was a roar that just was and then obviously there was a yep. roar every holy play but i'd never heard that story yeah, wow yeah, how, yeah. how you knew that jack jack just kind of having fun and then yep things got a little busy that last nine for him. <laughs> all right all right before the pot pies have you looked at the brackets do you have a final four for us i do i'm gonna go right to the grade eight okay yep i'm gonna go with and I and I don't have my glasses, so I can't see it. But I'm going Brady, Brady Bunch versus Beretta, and then and then underneath, and I'm going Curb Your Enthusiasm with Monday Night Football. Okay. And then on the other side of the bracket, I'm going, of course, the Masters versus Sanford and Son. Okay. And then the bottom of that bracket, I've Gilligan's Island versus Happy Days. Okay. Okay. And then. So the final four, I have Beretta versus Monday Night Football. Yes. And on the other side, I have the Masters versus Gilligan. And then I have Monday Night Football versus the Masters. And then one of the biggest upsets I've ever seen. (laughs) Everyone thinks I'm going to pick the Masters. I'm going with Monday Night Football. Uh, 
a true sports fan at heart. Did you have a favorite TV show as a kid? Did you have a favorite sitcom that you loved to watch? Yeah, I mean, you know, there were a handful of them, but uh, oddly enough, I could watch a little of Beretta as I got a little older, and I and I I I, I liked that show, but. I used to watch my father, Sanford and son, and then I would watch a lot of Gilligan's Island after school. I wasn't, once I got to be a little older, you know, everyone gets out of cartoons, but happy days at night. That's why I chose all these. I mean, you had, would you have 62 of them? So I, I, I made eight of them. Um, and Curb Your Enthusiasm, the show makes me so edgy uh, that I had to pick, and I, to be honest with you, I, I, can't, I can't even give you the jingle on that, but uh, I just figured I'd for Suzanne, I'd give you a little Curb Your Enthusiasm, which we watch all the time. Give Suzanne and Hunter a hug for me. I can't wait to see you again. Hopefully there'll be a tournament up here someday or you'll be back. And I, I can't wait to visit with you. I know. Isn't this the craziest thing ever? But yeah. hopefully everything will start opening up and including businesses and golf and this monster will go away. But Mitch, thanks for having me on. And, and Masters Week is a huge deal. And I appreciate, you know, you throwing me a couple bones there. Take care, Fred. Okay, Mitch. Thank you. And there he is, our guy from a Seattle toddler to O'Day High School to the 1992 Masters champion, Fred Couples, Hall of Famer. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline for the very first time is Zeke's Pizza President Dan Black. How does that sound to you, Dan? That must mean I'm important. <laughs> I don't know if you're important, but you are on the Zeke's Pizza. <laughs> Many have been on the Zeke's Pizza hotline before you. Obviously a terrible and uncertain time, and we're all trying to get through this together. What can you tell us about Zeke's Pizza? How are you guys doing? And and give us some ideas. Like you say, I mean, it's um, undoubtedly a tough time for the restaurant industry. I mean, it's harrowing. Zeke's is lucky in that we're going to be more resilient than most simply because we have a pretty significant delivery business. You know, we're focused on mainly our residential delivery simply because everybody's at home. Like I say, our kind of high ground in this is uh, is delivery. And there's three ways, three very easy ways to have Zeke's Pizza at your door, right? Yep. You know, when I order, I use the app. It's the fastest and the easiest. Uh, you know, of course, that's what most people like to do nowadays, too. But you can do it online as well. If you want to call, the people in our call center are extremely friendly and they're extremely good at what they do so pretty much anybody in greater seattle area or the east side and parts of Tacoma can call 206-285-TO-GO which is 206-285-8646 and it's a great alternative because you and i were talking about it before we started to record there is no evidence that the virus is transmitted through food in fact if a droplet were to fall on a cooked pizza for that matter research says that the the virus would die so this is a really good alternative. Pizza, home. We've got our kids home. How about kind of social distancing? How, how have you guys incorporated that into your delivery methods, Dan? Everything you're saying about food is true. There's Food's very safe. Zeke's is serious about health and safety all the time, even when it's not like this. So a lot of the a lot of stuff that's recommended and that people are doing, we do anyway. But the way we've worked social distancing in specifically to delivery is... You can pay for everything, including tip, whether it's on the phone, online, or the app. And that's that's kind of always been the case. We've we've always done that. But the way we've worked it now, too, is, is you can leave a note no matter how you order, whether it's on the phone, whether it's on the mobile app or online, with a lo- drop-off location. And so you basically don't have to interact with the driver at all. That's the kind of modification we've made since this came about, which it's, it's just really easy, basically, to do a completely interaction-free transaction as long as you just 
leave notes as to where you want your stuff left. Dan Black, president of Zeke's Pizza. Download the Zeke's Pizza app and use it during these troubled times. We love Zeke's Pizza. It's homegrown in the Northwest, and they're a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. I think it's the Steve Jobs phrase that he used to talk about when he described products. It just works. The company's stock rose 67% from the beginning of February to the end of March, while the S&P 500 went down 20%. Daily downloads of the Zoom app have increased 30 times year over year, and it has been the top free app for iPhones in the United States since March 18th. Episode 87, while we've all been hunkered down, protecting ourselves and those that we love. There have been a couple of phenomenons, it seems. One that we've talked about is Zoom. I had never heard of Zoom until about a month ago, and now 10 minutes don't go by without hearing about Zoom. So joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline to explain is Drake Bennett from Bloomberg Business Week. Drake, I hope you and your family are okay back in New York. No, we're doing okay. Thanks very much for asking. You got to start from the beginning on this. There's Skype, there's FaceTime, and all these other group video chatting apps, and then all of a sudden, Zoom is in my face. How? Why? Who? Start from the beginning. Where did this come from? Well, the founder of the company is a guy named Eric Yuan. He's Chinese. Um, And he came to the States as a young man and got a job at a company called WebEx, which was a, a pretty early video teleconferencing startup. Uh, He started working there in the late 90s. They were really one of the first companies to design a working video conferencing platform. This is something that had been kind of like a sci-fi idea for a long time. And so he rose through the ranks there, became pretty senior engineer. WebEx gets bought by Cisco, um, and he goes to his new bosses and says, we need a product that doesn't just work on computers. We need something that works on mobile phones. You know, this is about 2007. The iPhone is obviously a giant phenomenon. All these iPhone imitators is a giant phenomenon. So Cisco was not interested in doing that. Uh, And so he leaves and starts his own company, and that's Zoom. And from pretty early on, does very well because they had figured out, A, how to actually do this on mobile phones. So the nice thing about Zoom, one of the reasons it's so um, frictionless is that if I'm on a cell phone and you're on your laptop, someone else is on, you know, a desktop, whatever, it doesn't, it's kind of agnostic about the kind of, you know, device that you're using. And it's very much this one click, easy to use thing. Whereas previously these, um, these platforms had been pretty buggy and pretty complicated and not intuitive. And so that was really the thing they figured out and did very well at them. Uh, And so, um, you know, until late last year, early this year, They were a very successful company in this kind of boring niche industry, which is enterprise, you know, business video conferencing. And then suddenly, obviously, events intervened and everyone's working from home. Everyone's got to figure out how to do these things that they formerly did face to face in a new way. And there's this very simple product that a fair number of people are acquainted with. And that Zoom, and suddenly it took off. Was there a moment, Drake? Was there some like high-profile person during the pandemic who kind of catapulted Zoom into our faces? Did something happen on TV, or did it just kind of gradually grow the way more organically? Yeah, we didn't find a kind of, for lack of a better term, like a patient zero of 
you know, Zoom as a viral phenomenon. Um, but it did. So I think it was a more organic thing. I mean, this was something that was uh, very popular at big sort of uh, in sort of a corporate, you know, video conferencing context. And so a lot of people were fairly familiar with it from work. But, and then so it was organic growth. It was not slow growth. It was extremely explosive growth. And that was one of the things that we explored in the story we just wrote, yeah. which is that it's basically gone from being this successful but niche, you know, business product to being basically critical infrastructure. Uh, they just announced their kind of usage numbers uh, a couple weeks ago, and it, it had gone from 10 million daily users in late December to like 200 million users. Oh now God. I'm sure it's more than that now. Wow. So, I mean, it's just unheard of. You know, Facebook never had growth like that. You know, AT&T, all these kind of, you know, the history of sort of communications networks is full of these things that grew very fast, but nothing that grew Uh, Drake, full disclosure, I've never done any video conferencing because I hate being on camera and seeing my face in one of those little squares. I just can't stand it. And maybe you already answered this question, but like I have sons and they're always Mm -hmm. on their phones with their friends on party, you know, chats and and parties Mm -hmm. and, and rooms. And there's multiple people on these on these phones at the same time. He's talking. My senior's talking to five, six, seven different people. And I kind of I kind of wave hello. I I guess I'm not understanding what, what makes Zoom different than what he's doing. Well, are you sure he's not doing Zoom? Uh, no, no, uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I mean, it's it's a similar kind of experience to, you know, Google Hangouts or, yes. you know, Apple's FaceTime yeah. product. One of the differences is it's not tied to a particular tech company. So, like, you know, if I'm on an iPhone and you're on an Android and someone else is on, like, a Dell laptop, like, we okay. can all very easy, easily have a meeting, a virtual meeting on Zoom. So, it's it's sort of... Uh, untethered to one particular operating system. It's very easy to use, uh, which is another big uh, reason for its popularity. It can handle really, really big meetings. Um, you can, there's a sort of free Zoom product anyone can use as long as they keep their calls under 40 minutes. And that free product can handle meetings of up to 100 people. So wow. it's very good at, at being able to scale up, which is another reason it's popular. But, you know, if you went on it, it would look similar to uh, a, a bunch of people on a big Skype call or something right, like right. that. Right, right. Somebody said to me, Drake, that they also have these kind of fun things about it, like you can change the background or something. You can, I, I, don't, yeah. know what, I don't know what they were talking about. What is that all about? I mean, one of the issues that an increasing number of people are confronting now as they work from home is that the the spot that you're working from at home doesn't always sort of project organization and professionalism. (laughs) Uh, Your kids can be running around naked in the background or, you know, your spouse can be running around naked in the background. Who knows? So one of the things that Zoom very cleverly has offered all along are these virtual backdrops. So you can, it's almost picture kind of like a green screen thing where you, you can go, they have this little menu of things. You can have an image of the golden gate bridge behind you or like a beautiful beach. So um, (laughs) it covers up all that sort of chaos behind you. And the other thing, as you mentioned is you can customize them and that's become this canvas for self-expression for a lot of people. And you can now, especially with the, the explosion in, in users and this kind of new kind of user, people are doing all sorts of kind of weird, clever uh, things with their with their backdrops. Um, and so that's, yeah, I mean, I think people like being able to 
personalized things. And yeah. so that's been a, that's been, yeah. It's funny, Drake, because you say this, and I just saw my wife was watching. My wife loves Trevor Noah. And she was watching. Mm-hmm. She was watching something on TV, and I kind of walked into the room, and somebody was doing kind of a funny shtick on what's in the background of all these people that are doing interviews and the the analysis of what books they read and what does it say about you? And they were literally analyzing the, the things that were in the background in all these interviews. And, and, and that takes me to the next question, which is all of these news shows and talk shows late night and the like, they're doing interviews all the time now via video conferencing and you see the service that's being used, there must be, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there must be a fierce battle between these platforms for, you know, CNN, Kimmel, Fallon, Colbert. Do they pay to get on these shows? How does that work? Well, I don't I don't know about how the marketing in that world works exactly. I mean, I do know that, you know, a lot of people are just using the Zoom free product. I, I imagine if it's something where it's like a, you want a, a professional grade experience, people are probably paying for the pay tier. But yeah, I mean, it is, there are, Zoom is not the only company that offers a product in this category. And especially in the past week or two, when you've seen this uh, backlash against Zoom and these questions about security and privacy being raised, you're seeing, you know, like the New York school system uh, base is, is no longer letting uh, teachers teach classes over Zoom because of security concerns. You know, Google is is discouraging workers from using it because of so, you know, Google has their own product. So I presume that Google is having their employees use Google Hangouts. You know, Microsoft has a product that they basically transform that Microsoft bought Skype a decade ago and yep. And use that technology to create a competitor to Zoom called Microsoft Teams. So there's definitely alternatives out there, um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure they're you know they all want to take advantage of this situation to kind of yeah. get people thinking of them as their as the go-to option. Go go more into depth on that because you kind of beat me to the punch. That was going to be my last question. Without fail. When something jumps like Zoom has jumped, and you just gave the numbers, a controversy seems to be always around the corner. Security is the issue with Zoom. Explain it to me. I guess at, at one point you didn't have to have any code and people were crashing other others' conversations. And how did Zoom react to this and what's the latest on that? Well, there's a few types of security and privacy issues that they've had. You know, the first one is exactly what you've mentioned, this phenomenon called Zoom bombing, which is people, uh, as a lot of people have migrated to the platform very suddenly, um, they're not fully aware of the the kind of security implications of things like having a password for your meeting. There are these uh, very, you know, one of the very convenient features that Zoom offers is this screen sharing. It's very easy to to share what's on your screen with everyone else in the meeting, which you can understand would be useful in a professional context, you know, like a PowerPoint or something. Right, right. These trolls, internet trolls, have basically discovered this, and you can sort of go around and find, with a little bit of sleuthing, you can find the the addresses of, of a meeting, and if it doesn't have a password, you can invite yourself to the meeting virtually, and then once you're there, you can be disruptive in some way. You can yell racist epithets, which people have done, or you could use the screen sharing feature to share really, you know, pornography or 
you know, objectionable content, you know, and this is sometimes to like an elementary school classroom or something like that. And so that is one category. And, and the, the company has responded, you know, pretty quickly to that by, by, by changing the default options on the platform so that all meetings now have passwords. It, right. It's sort of harder to, right. you know, just jump in and share what's on your screen because the default setting has changed on that. So they've addressed that. There's another category of issues, which is security issues. So basically, uh, security researchers have kind of turned their attention to Zoom as it's gotten more popular and found that there are various vulnerabilities there related to the fact that it was designed to be this very simple, you know, idiot-proof, frictionless experience. But in designing it that way, the company seems to have made it easy for other people to manipulate. So a hacker could, in theory, use Zoom's installer to put malware onto your computer and use that to, you know, steal your data or ransomware you or something like that. They could also, in theory, um, hijack your uh, webcam. That's something that um, some security researchers have have discovered is, is possible through Zoom. So, again, on those Fronts, the company has responded very quickly and patched the vulnerabilities and promised to be, you know, to do more rigorous preemptive testing to, to spot other vulnerabilities. The other sort of category of thing is just how Zoom uses the information that it gets about you as you use the platform. So you're obviously, especially now, people are, you know, going to AA meetings over Zoom. They're visiting their therapist over Zoom. They're going on dates over Zoom. So there's this whole other category of very private information that's be, that's, that's sort of going through this technology. And so these questions of how Zoom handles your information and what it does with it, uh, where it stores it, have become more pressing. And there, again, the company has tried to respond very quickly. They've changed the terms of their, you know, privacy policy. They've changed various settings that sort of make it easier for uh, hosts of meetings to kind of keep an eye on what participants are doing. So they've tried to respond very quickly. I mean, the question is why they didn't address some of this stuff earlier. But once it's been raised, they have been pretty speedy at, at, at trying to put the issues to rest. Drake, last question for you. We typically talk about sports on this podcast, so we're always talking about competition. Once we get back mm-hmm. to some sense of normalcy, will this be a competition that's worth watching? These platforms, are they going to fight once we all get back uh, into our regular lives, or is Zoom and all the rest of them going to dissipate a little bit because we won't need them as much? It's a great question. Um, we asked the CEO, Eric Yuan, the same question when we talked to him. And he basically, I mean, I mean, more specifically, the question we asked him was, you know, when this is over, do you think you're going to go back to being a, you know, a business video conferencing company? Or are you going to remain this kind of giant consumer brand? Is that going to, you know, has this sort of changed the idea of what this company can be in your mind? And he frankly has no idea. I think it sort of remains to be seen how permanent these changes in how we work and socialize are. I mean, I think it's it's becoming increasingly evident that, you know, things aren't going to go back to normal all at once. It's going to be a sort of a phase, you know, one step forward, two steps back kind of thing. And so we may be using these products in this way for a very long time. And, you know, we may, you know, we may retain some of these habits. We may keep working remotely more than we used to because we've kind of gotten used to it and figure out how to do it in some way. So 
I don't think anyone in this business really knows. And they're, you know, just, I mean, part of what their Zoom is trying to do at this point is just sort of like everyone else, stay ahead of events. I mean, this wasn't, this is, this in a certain way is a giant opportunity for them, but it's also been just like a huge crucible for the company. So I think it's, it's hard in a way for him, Eric Yuan, and the company to, to, to think particularly long-term at the moment. Hmm. Well, Drake, thank you for being with us. I'm sorry that we didn't use Zoom for this conversation. It's old-fashioned <laughs> phones for me. A phone call does the trick for me, especially here on the podcast. His name is Drake Bennett, and he's a writer for Bloomberg Business Week. We really appreciate your time, and we send all of our love to everybody back in New York City. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mitch. Appreciate it. That's the voice of Drake Bennett, senior writer of Bloomberg's Business Week on the incredible rise to prominence for Zoom video conferencing. Where would Mitch Unfiltered be without partners like Daniels Broiler? Not very far is the answer. And you don't need me to tell you that we must support local businesses and families like the Schwartz family during these times. It's vital. The same family that owns and operates Daniels also has Schwartz Brothers Bakery and Brenner Brothers Bakery, known since 1903 for their traditional bagels and rye bread. Founded in 1973 to make pies and other desserts for their restaurants, Schwartz Brothers Bakery now offers a delicious selection of the fresh breads, bagels, dinner rolls, hamburger hot dog buns, as well as pastries like cinnamon rolls and coffee cake and Danish, and so much more at QFC, Fred Meyer, Safeway, Albertsons, Metropolitan Market, PCC, and other local supermarkets. For a limited time, you can also find Schwartz Brothers Bakery, frosted shortbread cookies, and lemon bars at select Costco warehouses. Schwartz Brothers and Brenner Brothers, proud to continue to provide the community with bread and essential baked goods during these challenging times. It allows them to keep many of their team members employed and look forward to the day when Daniel's Broiler locations can reopen and those valuable team members can come back to work. Daniel's Broiler, Schwartz Brothers Bakery, and Brenner Brothers Bakery, staples of the Northwest community forever. Unfiltered. And the XFL took another hit today amid the coronavirus. A source with the Tampa Bay Vipers confirmed to ABC Action News tonight that XFL leaders have suspended league operations and laid off all employees except for a few executives. ESPN is reporting the league has no plans to return in 2021. The regular season was canceled March 12th, but the league originally said it planned to play next season and beyond. Players were told they'd be paid through the end of the regular season, which would have wrapped up this weekend. Well, as we all cautiously await a restart to our public lives, difficult news from the world of sports this past week. The XFL seems to be ceasing operations. Ryan Gustafson was the president of our Seattle Dragons, and he joins us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Ryan, thank you, and I hope everyone's healthy in your world. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it. Uh, yes, everyone and family, friends and, and coworkers all safe and sound, which is all that matters right now. And I, I hope the same for you. Yes, thank you. Vince McMahon seems to be, I say seems to be because everything's been a little bit vague and unclear, throwing in the towel for 2021 and beyond. It was a surprise to me. Was it a surprise to you, uh, Ryan, and all the all the employees of the Dragons? Yeah, I mean, of course, we were all a little bit surprised and, and more, you know, saddened and disappointed because we had uh, 
you know, built something really special with a great group of people here. Um, you know, we live in truly difficult and uncertain times and, um, certainly, uh, you know, we, we are a part of that. And, um, you know, unfortunately Friday's news came, but we're also just really proud of the work that we did and, and thankful to all the fans and, and partners that were involved in this. How many Dragons employees, Ryan, and overall XFL employees are now, unfortunately, without paychecks starting this week? And were the bulk of these workers full-time medical benefits receiving people? Were they part-time, combination of both? Explain that to us. Yeah, a combination of both. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure the, the total number of employees league-wide in Seattle we had you know, about 20 to 25 business staff, um, you know, 15 on our football team uh, operation side. And then obviously all the players as well <clears throat> who, um, you know, had played half a season and then uh, was prematurely cut short. So uh, definitely unfortunate, but, it, you know, I, I know this group of people so well uh, and got to know them and, and inspired by them and know that everybody's going to bounce back and, and, and be in a better place for, for the experience that we all went through together. In your estimation, what changed between – the original announcement that the league was committed to 2021 and beyond to now what happened? Uh, I wasn't privy to too many of those discussions. So I, I don't know that I can com comment on it too well, but I think this whole, you know, uh, unfortunate COVID-19 situation has hit everybody so hard. And it's been such a quickly evolving situation that, you know, as more uh, information was made available and, and, you know, the outlook on the world has changed so much over the last few weeks. Um, you know, I wasn't in the room and, and don't know the specific details, but certainly uh, that played a huge part of this. Um, but, you know, like I said earlier, everybody's safe and, and healthy. And, you know, I, I feel for the people of Seattle and the fans, especially for of the Dragons and, you know, just wish everybody the best during the difficult time. You know, the only way, and I know you know this better than anybody, the only way the XFL was going to survive anyway beyond the original three years would have been to strike some TV deal, assuming that was going to be less and less likely with the economy shut down and maybe sponsorship potential drying up down the line, Ryan? Uh, you know, that wasn't something that we were thinking about too much. Obviously, there's uh, a lot of dynamics at play about, you know, getting the startup lead to sustainability. We were just focused on creating an, an, a loyal fan base here in Seattle, um, creating a great game experience and giving opportunity to players, coaches, and, and employees. So, you know, we had built something that we felt was really special and had a lot of momentum. And, you know, unfortunately, the, it wasn't in the cards with the timing of everything going on right now. But, um, you know, we were proud of what we accomplished and thankful to all the fans who uh, came out and supported us. Before the pandemic, you guys were playing football. The league was getting good press. There were some creative ideas coming out of the XFL. Kind of go back and focus a little bit on what good was happening, Ryan, and then what were going to be the challenge? Forget the illnesses and the virus and the worldwide shutdown. What were going to be the challenges for Ryan Gustafson and the Dragons and the XFL as you guys worked your way through this first season? You know, I, uh, I go back to the memory of our first home game um, at Centurion Field, 30,000 fans waving their orange towels, bringing the fire. It felt like uh, a really authentic professional sporting event in Seattle, like only we know. Um, the fan support was so great. It's a memory I'll never forget, and that's certainly not just a high of, of this season, but of, of my entire professional career. And I, I know that so many people on our staff uh, felt the same way. You know, certainly with any startup league, we were going to have continued um, challenges and opportunities as we got to year two and beyond. But, you know, with the timing of everything, we were just so focused on our next game and making sure that our fans had a great experience. 
that, and that's not something that really was entering our mind at the time. We've seen a flurry of attempts at professional football during the NFL's offseason. We all love football. And while there's been some good press with most of them and fun ideas, they all just haven't worked out for a variety of reasons. What's your conclusion, Ryan, to all this? Is there just not the appetite for lesser professional football during, I don't know, the months from March to August, or is that not the case? I don't believe that. I mean, I think we proved uh, that there was an appetite if this is done well. Um, you look at attendance, TV ratings, everything was, uh, you know, there's certainly an appetite for more football. I believed and I still believe that if this is done right, there's a lot of potential for it. You know, unfortunately, the timing with everything happening in our world was unfortunate. But, you know, I think if anything, we proved that um, if things are done the right way, um, there's a lot of, you know, momentum built up for, for professional football in the spring. And, you know, I'm, um, you know, grateful for all the fans that showed us their love and their support throughout this, uh, this process. Do you think the NFL will cherry pick any of the uh, novel ideas that you guys had in the XFL? <laughs> Uh, that's a great question. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, you know, I, I certainly think that there was a lot of really well-received innovations uh, from, you know, the, uh, the sky official to the way we did kickoffs, uh, our point after touchdowns. Who knows what the future holds? I think that all of us got into this because we wanted to build something special for the city of Seattle. We wanted to uh, reimagine football and hope that we left our mark in the game. And I think that, you know, in the short period of time, we we should be all proud of what we accomplished and um, just are grateful for everyone's hard work and support through this. Um, it was an amazing experience for all of us. And all those people like yourself took a gamble on a, on a, uh, on a startup, just like any other startup business. You left a job and now uh, you have to decide what's next for Ryan. What is next for Ryan Gustafson? You know, I haven't thought about that too much. I have uh, a team of such great people that are incredibly talented and just wonderful individuals. Um, I was telling everyone the other day, you know, I think the mark of successful people is the ability to take adversities and turn them into opportunities. And if anybody can do that, it's the team of people that work for the Dragons. And I'm excited to see what what the future holds for all of us Um, and just grateful for the hard work and effort that everyone put into this because, you know, they put their heart and soul into it. And, um, you know, I'm just excited uh, and proud of of everybody that was involved in it. Ryan, I guess I should ask this as my last question because there was some vagueness and some ambiguity to the way the XFL announced this. Do you think there's any chance that if we get to the end of the tunnel, we get to that light at the end of the tunnel, we restart our economy, and we bounce back a little bit, hopefully we will, that uh, the XFL, the McMahons, whomever, the powers that be, will consider you know, restarting the XFL at some point? Or do you think this is a lost cause at this point? Uh, I'm not going to comment on it. I, honestly, I'm not privy to the conversations that went on um, and kind of how this whole thing materialized. Um, you know, I, I think that there's uh, a lot of great momentum from it. Um, we're all uh, sad to kind of see it end the way that it did, but I don't really have many details other than what was announced on Friday, to be honest with you. All right. Ryan Gustafson, the president of our Seattle Dragons. Well, thanks for your work. Thanks for all that you did to make it an exciting four or five games. And all the best to you and your family. I hope you remain safe and sound. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it. Hope you stay safe as well. And uh, I appreciate all the support. Thank you. Unfiltered. Okay, you know how I know this this theme music? I only know this theme music one for one reason. 
that my two boys went through a stage when we first got, I think, Netflix or one of those streaming services. I think it's Netflix now. Where they both decided they were going to watch every episode <laughs> of The Office, and they didn't do it together. One, my, 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 my high schooler did it, and I was like, okay, enough of The Office. And then my, and then my, and then my eighth grader said, oh, I'm going to do it too now. And so we went through a period in this house where that music was playing over and over again. Somehow, someway, I never got into The Office when it was on, I guess, NBC. Yeah. And the funny thing about, there's actually a funny thing about that. Did you watch The Office? Every episode, office? yes. Okay, so you're going to find, that I, I, maybe you don't remember this or know this. You would, you would have thought that I would have given The Office a chance when it was on network TV originally because where is The Office set? What city is The Office oh. set? If you saw every episode, then you know that. Scranton, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. My mother and father and my all, oh. the, all the Levies are from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Is that right? They were, they were high school sweethearts in, in Scranton, Pennsylvania. My mother and father were both born and raised in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So you would have thought yeah. I would have given the office a chance but i never got into it i never watched it i watched a little of it with the boys when they were you know reviewing it on netflix but i never got into it so the, the theme from the office is it going to make a run it's going to make a run i think according to somebody it's going to make a run well i did see that friend of the show peter king tweeted out peter his, king his top for he he's in this too everyone's loving this contest it's so great jason lock and four refused to give us a final four <laughs> i don't know if he's loving he's it mad but... at the selection committee <laughs> right, but, yes right? he yeah. is yeah. peter king picked the office to win it all now, Peter King's a much smarter person than I am. He might be onto something here. I just don't know if it's going to win at all. The office? What's their road? Do you have it in front of you? What the office's road? They're down at the bottom of the right part of the uh, of the bracket, I think. First round, I mean, I honestly, I think every first round matchup is tough when I look at it. The Muppet Show? You're going to beat the Muppet dun, dun, Show? Dun, 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 so good. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, the, great, great song. Okay, let's say they beat the Muppet Show. Yeah, who do they have in the second round? The winner of? Either Happy Days or Hill Street Blues. I don't... And by the way, who's going to win that one? Yeah, right. I'm telling you, every first round matchup is so hard. Yeah, Happy Days is iconic. But Hill Street, Hill Street Blues is great. Hey, last time we were on, we talked about... What was the song? And you said, I bet that was a top 10 hit. Miami Vice? Did no, we talk about Miami, Miami Vice? Vice was a number Welcome one. Welcome Back, Cotter. Yes, Welcome Back, Cotter was a number one song on the Billboard Hot 100. We talked about it last I time. I was in my driveway today talking to my family about the theme song from MASH. My guess is that was up the charts, too. The Suicide is Painless MASH theme song? I bet it was. I think at one point was pretty was pretty high up there as well. Were you? A, did you watch the show Taxi, by the way? There's I did, a, reason a, little, I'm a little bit. A okay. little bit. Like, I never watched MASH at all. I've never seen one episode I haven't of either. MASH. We're the same on that. Taxi, a little bit, but I was not a taxi kind of crazed lunatic. Right. Well, Taxi's on Hulu, if anyone has Hulu. You can stream it. I watched the very How about that first cast? episode. I know, amazing. Mary, what's her? Mary Lou Henner? Is she the first one you think of when you think about well, Taxi? She was easy. Come on, Danny was, DeVito. I know, but she was easy on the Tony eyes. Tony Danza. Oh, yeah. Judd Hirsch. The first person you come up with is Mary Lou <laughs> Henner. so pretty. You know what Mary Lou Henner's known for? I'm going to give you the most minutiae bit of trivia <laughs> you have ever heard, and you're going to look this up when you leave here, and you're going to okay. go, how did you know that? And you forgot two pretty big cast members, but go ahead. Okay, who else did I? Andy did I Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. Pretty talented. Yeah. And then the guy from Greece. I can't remember his name. He was in Conway? Greek. Yes, Jeff Conway. But how about Okie Dok? How about <laughs> oh, yeah, Back to the Future guy? Okie Dok? <laughs> how about that guy? Run for your life, Marty. <laughs> yeah, I'll start. All right, cast. I'm going to tell you something about Mary Lou Henner. Oh, so pretty. Mary Lou Henner, went, there was a period in like the 19, early 90s where people started to find out about what I'm going to tell you, and it was like the thing for like three weeks. 
Mary Lou Henner. I have no you, idea what you're going to okay. say. This is, the, this is true. What I'm about to tell you is true. Right. We should get her on the pod. She'll, okay, sure. If you said to Mary Lou Henner, April 14th, 1984, she would tell you where she was and what happened that day. She could tell you every day of every year, she had this memory. There's a there's actually kind of a description. You're looking at me like there's no way. It. It's true. It's totally true. Look it up. It's well documented. Mary Lou Henner, there's like there's like what? a there's like a tiny slice of people in the world who have this knack. You can give them a day and a year, and they can close their eyes and rem- and tell you where they were, what happened that day, what? significant things that happened. I'm, I'm telling but how you. How do you truth. know this? Is the okay, weird thing. I'm telling you that there was a stretch in like early 1990s, late 80s, early 90s, where people became aware that she went on some show, like the Bob Costas Later Show. Do you remember the Bob oh, Costas yeah. Later Show? Yeah. She went on some show. And she started doing, they started throwing, maybe it was 60 Minutes. Maybe she went on, she went on some big show and they started throwing dates at her because they had heard that she could do this. And she, it was, and they checked her and it was, she was right on every one of them. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Mary Lou Henner, you, you look me up. I'm telling you, <laughs> you can, you're, unless I've got the wrong actress, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Mary Lou. Check Anna. that. It's Mary Lou Retton, the gymnast. Sorry about that. By the that. way, <laughs> if it's any Mary Lou, I get credit for it. Okay, good. that's right. It was Mary Lou Retton, is unfortunately. Uh, but how, I wonder how far back she can go. She can't go to like kindergarten or. Yes. When she was a baby. Yes. Baby? Oh, I don't know if she was. I, I don't remember anymore. Birth? I don't remember. I don't. I, I'm, I'm stopping would... while I'm ahead. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> okay. I'm telling you, when you're in, you're going to have plenty of time. <laughs> yes, I do. When you're sitting around, you know, annoyed with, you know, Piper, go somewhere else oh. and wife, go somewhere else. All day. Just go online and do a search about Mary Lou Henner's weird uh, ability. Unless it was proven to be a fraud. I don't think it was ever proven to be a fraud. Okay. And I think she went on 60 Minutes and did this thing on 60 Minutes. It was unbelievable. And and then somebody did followed up and, and did a an expose on people. There are people or there's actually a word for it, a term for it. There's people around the world huh. that can do this. I've heard of people being able to do it with sports stuff. There's uh, there's a guy who can, he can tell you every World Series matchup and who won f- since the start of the World Series. Yeah. That's pretty impressive, but this is another level. Well, if you want, a, if you want a little bit of six degrees of Mitch, you, you asked me what we did for my birthday. So we w- during dinner we said on Saturday night it was my birthday. One of the kids said and regrets that he did. Uh, why don't we do this for Dad's birthday? Let Dad pick a movie. We'll all watch an old movie because oh, Dad always geez. wants us to watch old movies. Dad, it's your birthday. We'll all sit down and watch an old movie. Oh God. So I said, okay, you're on. And I was going to do City Slickers because that's I, I've been trying to get them to watch City Slickers for a long time. Hey, it's Mitch. Mitchy the Kid. I decided they probably wouldn't like the City Slickers, and they're not going to like anything that I picked. I actually picked Rain Man. Mm. The four of us on Saturday night sat down and watched Rain Man. Is that all? The reason that comes into my mind is, you, you, know, you know, the story about Rain Man and the... Yeah, yeah. You know, counting the cards right, and the right. sticks and the toothpicks on the floor and yeah, so yeah. forth. Yeah, that's kind of Mary Lou Henner ish. It totally is. Yeah. Was that um, was that Max's first time seeing Rain Man? Yes, that was the first time for everybody except for my wife and I. What did the kids think? They were bored a little bit. I think Brett liked it more than Max. Max was on his oh, phone a little bit. Max, Max. has trouble staying through everything. <laughs> so do I. I'm uh, with him. <laughs> I have the same problem. I don't have any trouble <laughs> believing that. I watched Parasite. It took me. By the way, amazing parasite. Oh, really? Oh. Subtitles? Can you read? That yeah, fast? Re- reading does suck. That part <laughs> sucks. So good, but it took me oh. five times to sit down and get through right, it. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Okay. And, and one of which is going to lead me to an idea for a guest on 87P. We'll have the patron episode on Thursday. 
What are we all doing in America and around the world about haircuts? It's a great question. What are question. we doing about haircuts? Uh, my friend of mine just took clippers to himself. He looks awful. I saw him on. We had a little Zoom chat. He looks terrible. Max, literally, I started mopping the floor, and I didn't realize that I was using Max. <laughs> right. I, I had know. Max in my hand instead of the mop. Yeah, when you're 17, the hair just, you have so much oh, of it. Oh, my and- God. He just, I can't, be- <laughs> I can't believe that that's my son. And we're all like, we all need a haircut. And I would think that the whole world needs a haircut. What are we doing about haircuts? So my idea is on 87P to get a barber or just a, some sort of a hairstylist that can say, here's what you do if you've never cut hair in your life at home. If you want to cut your kid's hair, you want to cut your spouse's hair, here's a way to do it where they won't come out looking like ruined for the next year. Get three different size bowls. For everyone's head, stick the bowl on <laughs> and just cut around it is what they're going to tell you. I don't know what they're going to tell me. I, I just would like, I'd like a couple of pointers on if sure. I want to give, if somebody wants to give me a haircut, I'd like them to take pointers before. Like if my sons, one of my sons want to give me a haircut, that's fine. But I'd like them to get a couple of pointers before we do it. Does no, nobody really knows how to cut hair. Well, I used to cut my own hair in college, but I wore it a lot shorter. I just took clippers to it. It was easy. You know what I mean? You know, yeah, but picture the clippers, and I'd, I'd get a mirror, and I'd have the, another mirror behind me, and I could sort of. Just, I was just shaving my head; it was easy. But like a normal styling, I don't know how to do that. I just don't want to do it in such a way that at the end, not only do I look horrible, but I look horrible for the, then this whole thing goes away, and everybody's <laughs> right. like, "What the hell's wrong? Where's Mitchman?" The right. last two. I mean, look at him. Oh my god, I don't want that. Right. So I, I, I figure we can get like a barber or a hairstylist. On I think show. you should just. Just rudimentary. I don't need. I don't need fancy haircuts. Just rudimentary tips on how to cut a guy's hair so that it doesn't come out looking horrendous for the next eight weeks. We should, That's what I want. We should both have our spouses cut our hair and see who's, who looks worse. I'm ready. <laughs> but see, I always like to grow my hair out, though. I always look for an excuse to grow it out. I don't. It's torturing you, isn't it? Yes. I want to get my car washed. That's what I want to do. And I can't help. That you can do by yourself. You don't need somebody to, to <laughs> Yes, you do. You. I've never washed a car. I've never how washed one. All right. I've been really wanting to tell this story. I thought it was so sweet. This is a sweet story of motherly love. This woman, Raziza Begum, she's 48 years old. She lives in India. She drove 1,400 kilometers on a scooter. Can you picture a little two-wheel like moped thing you'd rent at the beach? Motorized? Yeah, motorized. Yeah. But it's a little scooter. 1,400 kilometers is like 870 miles, so to give you an idea. To go pick up her 19-year-old son who was stranded due to the nationwide lockdown announced on March 25th. 870 miles on a scooter. I mean, that's, to give it perspective for where we are, that's like to Spokane back and then back to Spokane <laughs> on a scooter, on a little tiny scooter on the freeway. How old is she? 48 years old, but she's a single mom of three. Her husband passed 15 years ago, uh, and she went and got him, and she said, I just packed some food up. Uh, I only stopped for fuel, took some swigs of water, and just kept smashing. So the whole trip took two days, so good for her. What, what moms and parents will do for their kids. He's 19. I know you have a couple other things. My last thing for 87 is... If anybody's still listening to this segment and you have a family member, a loved one, a friend who's risking their own health for all of us, you probably know by now that I've been sending out Zeke's pizzas to everybody and their brother. I put it on Twitter. I put it on Facebook, sending them to hospitals, sending them to emergency rooms, sending them to nurses, sending them to first responders. I still have more money because a lot of people have been donating, 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 donating. So we have more money just to say a little, it's a tiny little gesture. It's not any big deal. It's, it's a pizza or a couple of pizzas to a staff, but they seem to really enjoy it. So if you are listening right now and you have a, again, a loved one or a friend 
that's a healthcare worker, a grocery store worker, a nursing home worker, a first responder, anybody who is going to work and putting themselves in harm's way so that we all can stay at home. We're supposed to be staying home. And I have, and I do have one more thing. I, I, you know, look, what, what kind of difference can I make? I can't make anything. I feel like there's some – do you feel like there's some light, there's some momentum now, a little bit of light at the yep. end of the tunnel? Do you feel that, I especially do. here in the state of Washington? Yeah. This is the worst time to take our foot off the gas pedal. And the other day, we went for a ride. The family went for a ride. Actually, three of us went for a ride. And we were driving around, and we noticed there were a lot of cars out. A lot, a lot of cars. And my worst fear, my worst fear is that people are going to hear – that there's some good news that we're doing better in the state of Washington and that there's some there's an end in sight and we're going to just take our foot off the gas pedal and not stay home because hey it's getting better and we're and we're stir crazy and we want to get outside right. and then what's going to happen boom yep. it's going to a, a second go around on this thing where it's going to spike again god i sure hope that everybody who's listening will tell their their friends and who tell their friends this is not the time when we see light at the tunnel this is kind of like as i said on twitter like the boxer the heavyweight boxer who has his guy like on the ropes. We've got cor- coronavirus on the ropes, COVID nineteen on the ropes. What are they? What are they taught to do when you're a boxer and you see that your opponent is staggered a little bit? Do you take your g- foot off the gas or do you go for the jugular? Yeah, you see and blood, go for the ki- you yeah. go for the kill, right? Yeah, yeah. You go. You you try to knock the guy out, right? Yeah. You don't let him off the hook. You don't stand back and dance and let him get his bearing straight and then get back into the fight, right? That's exactly that's, right. That's the analogy we need as a as a state. And as a society, now that we see that we're doing everybody, I'm telling you, Fauci, the president, everybody's stopping their press conferences and saying doctors around the country. I'm watching on CNN and so forth. Look at how they did it in the state of Washington. Look how they're doing in the state. of. We're like the example of the way to do this. Let's not now start going out and feeling a false sense of security and ruin everything that we did. Let's let's now really stay inside for the next two weeks. I'm worried about you. I'm seeing on Twitter that you're going. You're going places, Scott. <laughs> Am I really? You are. I go from the driveway to my to my you bedroom. You went to a company. You said you were at a company on on, on one of the tweets. Oh, you follow or me one now? Of, oh, or maybe it was a text. You said you were at somebody's company or something. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just. I'm, I'm not. Th- this is about all of us. Yeah. Let's not. I know we're stir crazy. I know we got cabin fever. I get it. I know we're, but we're doing well. Let's not blow it now. Let's go for the jugular, stay inside, hide under our desks. Then once we get out, everybody can go out except for me. I'll still stay under my desk because I, <laughs> I've been subscribing to social distancing for 53 yeah. years now. I was going to say 52, 53 years now. Especially with that haircut, you're not going out. I mean, for God's <laughs> sakes, I wouldn't either. No, anyway. but you're right. Today, th- th- now is not the time for complacency. No, yeah. no, 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 no. So you'll, you'll be happy Step to- Step on the pedal now. Now, not going to be happy to know that a couple Fridays ago, there was a party at the rental home of a student near downtown Clemson that prompted several calls from neighbors that had 100 people there. And the uh, police, have, I know, I don't mean to crap on your, your excitement, uh, but here we go. I mean, we, Washington can only do so do. much. Let's not do that here. Yep. We can't control what happens at Clemson. I can't, I, can't, I can't control what happens to my son, let alone Clemson. All I can do is yell and scream into this microphone that we're getting close. Let's not lay up. Let's not let up now. Okay, let's just yep. go for it now. Let's smother this thing. And the way to smother this thing is just stay home, stay healthy, and just you know hide out for a couple of more weeks, maybe another 20, 30 days. Just hide out. I know it's it's. I know we all want to get outside and and resume our normal lives and get the economy. It's not the time for that. 
Because what will happen then is it'll be another two months in the house when it comes back. That's right. So just hang in there That's now. Right. And then we'll can. say, God, why didn't we That's step right. on the pedal when we had a chance? That's exactly anyway, right. Anyway, you got one last thing? Yeah. Right. Houston Billion. Sidney Crosby. Are you familiar with the name Tillman Fertitta? Fertitta? I don't know if I'm saying it right no. or if it's spelled right. No. He owns the Houston Rockets. Oh, okay. I didn't know. I have no idea who he was. Okay. But he Leslie off- Alexander used to own the Houston Rockets, and he sold it in the last three or four years. This is the guy he sold it to. Okay. Yeah, he, this guy's a restaurateur. He's more known for okay. that. Okay. Laid off 45,000 workers as a favor to them to help them access unemployment benefits early. He's taken a lot of crap for this on social media. He's worth $4.8 billion. And his he went on Fox News and said, you know, I went through a few crises, and this is the way to do it. I've learned. You get them furloughed first because then – they have access to unemployment line in the you know before everyone else does. So why do they have access before everyone else does? Well, he, I'm, he, I'm having trouble following. He laid them off early, like right away. Oh, right away! Instantly laid. This them isn't off. just happening now. No, like oh. right away when this started. So people are not. I mean, we've we said before it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out with certain people and decisions companies are making. And I I don't think this is going to age nicely for this guy. Who's I mean I know it's not my you money. You got him right over here. You got him doing that over yeah. here, and then you've got. Our guy, our guy, Bill Gates. Right, exactly. Over here, right. who says, I'm going to build seven labs for billions and billions of dollars to test the seven possible vaccines or, yes, the seven possible vaccines, knowing that six of my labs are going to be all for naught. Right. And, oh, so it's a, it's a few billion dollars. What's right. the difference? If it gets us to a, a vaccine quicker, then I'm willing to do it. He, he's literally, he literally, as he goes through this pro- process, knows that he's building six labs for billions of dollars that he's just going to close that are going to have no... Uh, Not going to make him a penny. Just fact, wasting yep. money. Just completely wasting money. God. But he's happy to throw the billions away. That's right. Because this, this gets us prepared. He wants to have the centers ready to test these vaccines instead of starting to build him at the time that the vaccine comes out so he's ready to lose billions of dollars and i know that's nothing to him he's got close to 100 billion dollars but and then you've got the the houston rockets owner over on this side doing that new money new money right there the, the 4.8 is bill gates guy. not new money bill gates is old money eh, 25 years is that yeah. old is that no. old money no 95 rockefellers have old maybe, money. maybe maybe rockefellers <laughs> will be a little older all right last thing i've been meaning really to this. it's really is this funny the last thing okay the, go ahead this might make us all cry uh, uh, in really? Hutch- well not really in, in hutchings texas a tractor trailer crashed and caught fire on the highway yeah now authorities say that the driver was fine so just know that going forward what do you think the truck was carrying if you had to guess it was an inferno what was it carrying the truck was stuffed with toilet paper. <sighs> of all the goddamn trucks that catch on fire, this thing just... It was on its way to my house. <laughs> it sure was. <laughs> yeah, this poor oh, truck. If I have to use paper towels one more time. Yeah, I know. My, my dog's tail is getting old. I mean, Christ. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, all right, that's it for me. Are we done? Right. Yes, episode Sidney Crosby. Yeah, I think so. Episode Sidney Dwight Clark. Dwight Clark, you went high on the air, <laughs> and he may have taken the 49ers to the Super Bowl. Uh, Dave Casper, Ben Obamanu, who do you want? Well, when I did the show with our pal, the gas man, he loved hockey. Yeah. And he'd kill me if I didn't pick Sidney Crosby over all these guys. So we're doing this for the gas man? Well, I know Sidney really, Crosby. Really, the gas man has influence over Mitch Unfiltered? <laughs> I know that he's the, really? best, he's the best athlete on here. The Is gas this man the same gas man who once took me aside when I first came to town and, I, and he said to me, you see that? That's... That's the Space Needle out there. That's not the Washington Monument. Is that right? Yes. I come from Washington, D.C. 
that, my friend, is the Space Needle, not the Washington Monument. You're in Seattle, not Washington, D.C. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> he had a little prickly side to him that I saw no. occasionally. I saw him. For the gas man. For the gas man, for the Sidney Crosby. It's the right choice. I don't yeah. know anything about Sidney Crosby. I know it's the right choice. Okay, should we find out? where? He, why don't you just click and see where he's from? If he, He's a Pittsburgh Penguin, I'm pretty sure. Are you able to fill for 10 seconds, or yeah. you, do we need some help? Because I get him mixed up. I don't follow hockey, and I've always gotten him mixed up with the guy from the Philadelphia Flyers who was also very good, but he kind of he, – he never – he never made it to where he needed to be. I'm, I'm sure Sidney Crosby's 80 is 87 for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it shouldn't take you that long to find. He out. played for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's, he's now, playing for the no. He's 32, so I guess he's still playing. I yeah, don't know. yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the guy's name that played for the Flyers that was supposed to be really, really good? He's a young phenom. Lindros. Yes, Eric. Look How about at you. that? How about okay, that? Okay, that's why I was confused at the beginning. I get Eric Lindros and Sidney Crosby mixed up. Lindros was like 91, though. He was. He's that old. <laughs> he might be actually, and he is Canadian. Sidney Crosby, and he torched the U.S. Episode: Sidney Crosby is in the books.